It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no. Not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply. Refuse to show vaccine passports. Refuse to wear a mask. Refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now. Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the Word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army. I am enlisted for eternity. I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, are pushed out. I am a soldier. I am not a baby. I do not need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. Because I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. Because I am a soldier. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I am committed. I am a soldier. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. I will win. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me, for when my commander calls me from this battlefield, he will promote me to captain and then allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army. I am marching. I am claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier. I didn't understand. A 
figure walking through the mist with a rifle in his hand. His clothes were torn and dirty as he stood there by the bed. He took off his three-cornered hat and speaking low, he said, We fought a revolution to secure your liberty. We wrote the Constitution as a shield from tyranny. For future generations, this legacy we gave to make you the land of the free and home of the brave. The freedoms we secured for you, we thought you'd always keep. But tyrants labor endlessly while your parents were asleep. Now your freedom's gone. Your courage is lost. You're no more than a slave in your land of the free and home of the brave. You buy permits to travel, permits to own a gun, permits to start a business or build a place for one. On land you think you own, you pay your yearly rent. But you don't have a voice in saying how that money's spent. Now your children attend a school that doesn't educate and your Christian values can't be taught according to the state. You read about your current news in a regulated press and pay more taxes than you owe to that thing called IRS. Your money's no longer made of silver or of gold. You trade your wealth for paper so your life can be controlled. And you pay for crimes that make your nation turn from God in shame. Now you've taken Satan's number and traded in your name. You give your government control to those who could do you harm so they could padlock churches and steal the family farm and keep the nation deep in debt while putting men of faith in jail and then harass your fellow countrymen while your corrupt courts prevail. Your public servants don't uphold the solemn oath they've sworn. And now your daughters visit doctors so their children won't be born. You send guns and artillery to foreign shore, and then you send your youth to slaughter, fighting other people's wars. Could you regain the freedoms for which we fought and died, or have you lost your courage and your faith to stand with pride? Are there no more values for which you fight to save? Or do you wish your children to live in fear and be a slave? And people of this republic, it's time to rise and take a stand. Defend the Constitution, the supreme law of your land. Preserve your great republic and every God-given right. And let us pray to God to keep that torch of freedom burning bright. Broadcasting live and live to Patriot Control of America. You're listening to the Patriot Party Podcast. Now on the show, the chair is against the wall. The muskrat jumps over the berm. I know why you're here, Neil. I know what you've been doing. I know why you hardly sleep. Why you live alone and why night after night you sit at your computer. You're looking for him. I know because I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question, just as I did.
Shut up, Happy. Don't feel bad about me. I got my hand back, see? We've only just begun to live White lace and promises A kiss for luck and we're on our
fuckers to another edition of True Spiracy, True Spiracy number 93. And uh, my psycho wife decided to do this one on climate anxiety, which <laughs> is going to be completely fucking boring. And 90% of people aren't probably going to tune into this because they're not going to realize how funny this is actually going to be. Seriously. Either way, <laughs> I am the Mick, and with me, of course, my much better beloved better half and director of this fucking clown show. <laughs> Vlin. There you go. I should say producer of this clown show. Correct. Because she has Correct. produced that clown show. However, that is quite a good joke there. Uh Jay Roden uh, just gave us a very good joke. If you have you're not on the rumble side, Pirate walks into a bar with a boat. Uh, a boat steering wheel on his dick. The bartender asks, what's that for? The pir pirate says, well, it drives my nuts. It drives me nuts. <laughs> what does a nearsighted gynecologist and a puppy have in common? They oh. both have wet noses. Ew. Gross. That's nasty. It's nasty gross. <laughs> Ew. Ew. All right. Ew. So, okay, I have to tell this story. Oh, God. So a buddy of mine and his daughter are at home and his daughter says, dad, I don't understand this immigration thing with the migrants and everything else. And the guy, my, my buddy looks at his daughter and he goes, what are you talking about? She goes, I, I don't understand why there's such a problem. So he goes through all this thing, explains it all to her at the best level that he think, thinks he can. She's only like eight years old. And, um, <clears throat> She, she gets to the end of it and she goes, I, I still don't get it, dad. So he calls in the wife, the wife comes in, explains the same thing, just a little differently, you know, for more, more suited for a child. Again, she gets to the end of it. She goes, I still don't get it. And so the wife asked the daughter, she goes, what do you mean? What don't you get? She said, I don't understand why we have such a problem with Mexicans. And my buddy's wife looks at her and goes, what do you mean? She goes, well, right in the beginning of the freaking national anthem, they say Jose. Instead of Jose, mm -hmm. she thinks it's Jose. And I'm sitting there going, this poor child but she's never even heard the actual national anthem no one has ever corrected her and said it's oh say can you see not jose can you see because <laughs> she was convinced it was jose maybe the democrats are too and that's why they've opened the borders <laughs> Someone get them a Chiron like they do for Biden speeches. Oh, man, that just had me. Oh, oh that had me cracked up something fierce. I was hurting inside. I was like, there's no way that she just. All right. I guess so. Jose, can you see? Jose can now. He's in our country. No shit. He already jumped the border. He's been here for a hot minute. True that. Jose and all his brothers. However, I will say that the, um, the Miguel, Tiguan, and the other one, they're all hanging out. The, the illegals are definitely suffering from some climate anxiety right now. Yeah, you're going to have to explain this to us okay. because nobody is quite a sure. I'm not even sure. Why? I don't even understand. What, climate anxiety? Where Where are you going with this? Oh, wow. Okay, you know what? I'm, 
I'm, I'm because not... we can only play a retarded game so long I before know. we all finally go crazy. All right. Um, well, I, we've been playing a retarded game for th- at least three years now. So, well, this is true. We have all kind of gone crazy. Okay, so you've you've entered a whole new realm. Definitely. Okay, so it, can you explain your whole new realm? I can. I can actually. Actually, you know what? You're not going to. I'm. I'm gonna let. I'm gonna let Camel Toe explain it to you. How's that? Here we go. Hold on. That's not the one I wanted. Mm. No, I. That's not gonna end well. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. That's not the same one, babe. It's not. That is not the same one. I know. Oh, here it is. Okay. We're going to let our fear, fearful leader explain climate anxiety to you. Okay. Notice okay. number two in charge, not here, here number one. Exactly. Number two. And it's a college tour, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard young leaders talk to me about a, a term they've coined called climate anxiety. Right, which is fear of, of, of the future and the unknown of whether it makes sense for you to think about having children, whether it makes sense for you to think about aspiring to buy a home. But yeah, what will this climate be? When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Um, okay, I'm still confused. About I don't understand. Uh, climate anxiety. I I maybe okay. So so maybe we maybe I need to address this differently with you because <clears throat> I I and everybody else in the chat mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure agree with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the weather's going to change in about five minutes. I mean, it's probably going to rain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really anxious about it. <laughs> I don't really give a fuck. You know what I care about? What's uh-huh. what's the temperature going to be like? How much clothing do I have to put on? Mm-hmm. How much clothing is it going to be legally acceptable for me to take off if it gets too hot? Okay. That's all that worries me. Here, we'll, we're, I'm going to give you Jesse's take on climate anxiety. Here you go. Harris was in Miami Beach yesterday giving a talk on climate change to a room of activists, politicians, and college kids. Here's a little sample. One of the young leaders was talking to me about climate mental health. I said, tell me what's going on with your peers. Climate mental health. And she talked, I said, I think I understand that, but unpack it for me. And she talked about how her peers are thinking about it. One example is, you know, whether when they're ready, could they start a family? Worried about what that would mean and the stress of it. They were talking about it in terms of their peers trying to figure out, you know, they're going to have to get a job and they're going to have to make a living, but what can they do and how can they adapt the education that they're having now to their activism? Kamala is sounding more like AOC every day, right? People don't want to have kids or get a job because it's bad for their climate mental health. Harris was in Miami Beach yesterday giving... So wait a minute. Are Uh they... Are they using like climate anxiety as a catch-all? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. So maybe I might understand where you're going with this. (laughs) This is the catch-all for everything. I am going to try and relieve 
your climate anxiety today. Okay, here's the deal. Well, hold on, I don't know if we can do that on video because <laughs> we might get in trouble for that. <sighs> I mean, if you're going to relieve my climate oh. anxiety, we might have to get a new channel. And OnlyFans? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen. I'm not saying you shouldn't have climate anxiety. I'm saying you shouldn't have climate anxiety about what they're telling you to have climate anxiety about. Okay. Remember that the things that they do, they're going to blame on God. And the thing that things that God does, they're going to take credit for. So that doesn't. Okay. So don't have climate anxiety over the things they're telling you to have climate anxiety about. Uh -huh. However, what they're telling us to have a climate or what they're claiming is climate anxiety is fucking everything. The way I speak is climate anxiety, according to this cut. Well, it's more like um, you're afraid to go outside of, of the weather, of the air, of everything in your life. Stop being a pussy. Exactly. Exactly. But you have to go green, right? That will relieve your climate anxiety. You have to go green. You have to get an electric car. You have to get rid of your gas stove. You have to um, conserve on your energy. You, you got to stop using chemicals and all that good stuff. <laughs> We've done part of that. I'm going to climate anxiety. I'm <laughs> going to excel somebody's climate anxiety. <sighs> I'm about to, because this is about fucking annoying. I know. I can't stand talking about this shit. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world. The climate changes every fucking day. I agree. I agree. But they're trying to make it change. Well, this we've known this. Mm -hmm. It's called harp. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, TWF said I'm getting bullshit and anxiety from KS Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the solar panels? <laughs> okay. Well, here's what they're doing to us. And blaming it on God. If this video isn't proof that we're under attack, that nature is under attack, the sunlight is being blocked from us. Without sunlight, photosynthesis can't occur, which means that all living things will die eventually. And we at the same time have the world leaders, the United Nations and the World Economic Forum telling us by the year 2030, they will fulfill the Great Reset and completely transition us from this current system into a new system of artificial intelligence, where they openly brag about not needing nature anymore because now they are the new creators of life, inorganic life. We have to do something now or else we're gonna find ourselves in a position without being able to depend on nature and being forced to depend on them. Okay, much like the gentleman in this video, I am not a pussy. Therefore, I don't have to worry. I will never have to depend on them. I'm not worried about that. Mm -hmm. That will never happen. However, I realize my problem. I realize why I don't understand where you're going with this. You want to get high? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we all need to be for this. I, I agree. So if you got it, and even if you can't, but you got it and you want to do it anyway, go ahead, light it up. 
because we're definitely going to need it for this bullshit. Come on, there it is. This is going to do nothing but fucking make my blood pressure go very nuts. Don't worry, I am going somewhere with this. I'm sure you're not. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch a movie at the end. Actually, not really the end. Please tell me we're going to watch Biodome. No, but that's a good one. <laughs> Fuck, I would have much rather watched Biodome. We could watch that after the dimming. Fucking some stupid Polly Shore. Fuck yeah. I wonder. It's from the ball. Happy Sunday, y'all. It only does it for that fucking stupid program, too. It did it for uh, GOMG. There it is. Alright, we'll watch that afterwards. Oh, no. Do the other one. Rent the other one. Or rent it. That's not, you can't. Oh. It doesn't matter. Did you hear Oklahoma had another earthquake yesterday? What, a 5.5? John, do you feel that? If you're here. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, Dev. Because uh, he probably actually wouldn't. Um, he, uh, You know he's like a pureblood, right? You know, he doesn't, he can get the jab. He doesn't believe in any of that shit, right? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Polly Shore is a bit of a fucking knucklehead, but apparently when it comes to the government, he's never trusted it. Doesn't matter who's in charge, you know, and you know what? I, I don't give a shit about anything else is the one thing I like about him is that he has a standard and he's stuck with it. Yeah. And uh, you know what? He never trusted the government. He's never gotten any jabs. He's not unjabbed. He's one of those dudes, which is a, you know, he doesn't enter in po politically either, which is quite weird these days for them. No shit. I mean, even fucking Keanu Reeves is getting in on it too. 
I mean, Keanu Reeves said he wouldn't give fucking uh, Whoopi Goldberg the Lifetime Achievement Award because <laughs> she's not a good person. He refused to give it to her, refused to present it to her. You know, I, I fucking, I don't like a lot of the movies he did, but the ones he did do, if you ever look at them, they're real anti-government shit. And uh, I'm not talking about Keanu Reeves. I'm talking about Paul Shore. Shore. You know, a lot of his movies are anti, anti-government, anti-Big Brother, anti- um, and that was true, you know, with all of them back in the day until COVID. This is true. Remember, COVID was the flip of everything. Mm -hmm. And only, I think, um, who's about the, I, you know, other than Keanu Reeves and Pauly Shore, I'm trying to think of anybody else who's really stands out as one of the ones who, uh, Dennis Miller, mm -hmm. He's he's been a big one. He's been a big anti-vaxxer and... Talk for a minute because I'm going to go shut everything down in the house. They're having a grainy video and that's telling me that. Ooh, yeah, we got a. Uh... No, I have everything turned off. Everything in the house? Yeah, I turned off all the TVs and everything. Last time I checked. Uh, but I mean, think about it. I, outside of that, I mean, who are the other few actors that have not been. Entered an opinion edgewise. That's the way I look at it. Um, I mean, fuck. Who, who's the other one? Uh, the Rock. <laughs> Tell you what, drop the try dropping the VPN again. Maybe that's. I can't believe it. Where where's the VPN out of right now? Atlanta. Comes back up. There it is. Still being stupid now. What the fuck? I don't know. Did the video get better? Audio out of audio sync. Audio out of sync, but like Should on our now. on our side, we we're still good. Which is weird. Okay. All right. Well Yeah, I, I, I like that too. I, I like that. He wouldn't do that. I, I think that says a lot. He didn't say anything about it. He just said that she She's wasn't a, a good person. person. That's it. Good deal. All right. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Um, check this out. I cannot believe what I just read. This weather station in Dallas posted this, and it's a picture of this radar. And them saying, hey, like, you would think that this is rain, but it's not. It's actually the military dropping tiny fiberglass particles covered in aluminum and plastic. And the reason the military is dropping these glass fiberglass particles is because they use this to fool the radar into thinking that it's precipitation versus military planes. And this is a normal military exercise that happens all the time across the country. People were outraged. So they posted this saying, hey, we only post what we know. This is really happening. And if you want to know more about it, go to this article. So naturally, we go to the article, is TRAF safe for humans in the environment? The government says, yes, probably. Half the shreds of aluminum, fiberglass, and plastic used by the military to help trick radars is considered safe. Even though government officials concede research on the effect it has on humans and the environment is limited. I'm sorry, but in what world? Is it safe to inhale 
fiberglass coming from the skies. Okay, first of all, let's, 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 let's go ahead and take some of this civilian mind because I know a bunch of military guys just lost their ever-living fucking mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's take the civilian side out of this. So let's educate everybody, right? Yeah. So what is chaff? Chaff is something dispersed by a plane. First of all, yes, it does fool radar. Yes, on radar, it looks like rain. That's why the missile, like when you fire off your chaff, if you ever watch a guided missile in all the movies, you see them all start to go wonky sideways and disappear. That's because of the aluminum and the fiberglass that's ejected. That's, oh, by the way, on fire. So understand what's on fire is the fiberglass, which is burning on the side of an aluminum disc. All right. That burns up ever before it even hits the ground. The fiberglass, that is. The aluminum floats down to the earth. Mm. But the fiberglass burns up before it ever goes anywhere because it uses the heat signature with the backed aluminum, which is what makes the radar on an enemy missile or anything else chasing it look like rain. What does fiberglass turn into when you burn it? Uh, NCXO2. Oh, is that good for you? Uh, at that altitude, it wouldn't even affect us. But the aluminum? The aluminum is solid. It's a solid piece of aluminum. It is a disc. Okay, so not inhalable. No. Okay. So what I'm trying to remove is, yeah, there is no studies because what are you going to breathe? NCXO2, you're not even going to ever see it. It disperses into the... It's like fiberglass on the ground when it burns on the ground. You can breathe. You can't breathe the smoke that's directly being propelled from it. But when it gets dispersed and diluted by oxygen and everything else we have in our atmosphere, it becomes non-toxic. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. How many, okay. How many boat fires were we near living on our old island? Like eight or nine, right? Guess what all those hulls are made out of? All fiberglass. Fiberglass. Yep. Did they ever evacuate anybody downwind no. from those fires? Why? Because, again, when once it's burnt off and it's diluted, it is non-toxic. When it's in its purest form, like right over the fire, yeah, you better be wearing some sort of other way to breathe. Because if not, you're going to get cancer in your lungs and it's going to really fuck you up. So what are they spraying in the skies above us? Because that's not all chaff. No, it's not chaff. That is something completely separate. Remember, that comes out of not only military airliners, but it comes out of civilian airliners as well, Mm -hmm. as we've seen. And they leave their, I don't know what that is. That is a chemical. That is not a solid particle. Yeah. Remember, chaff has to be solid. Why? It has to give off a radar signature. It can't be a liquid or a dust. It's got to be something that a radar signature will bounce back off of. That's why chaff has to be solid. Does that make sense? Okay. Am I wrong in trying to explain it that way? Okay, good. All right. That is kind of bogus crap, chaff. You can't. 
Now, does chaff look like that? Yes, it does. On a radar, I've never seen it look that big before. That means a whole lot of planes would have had to disperse it all at the same time for that type of signature on a freaking... Is it possible? Absolutely. Is any... I mean, shit, it's possible right now that a fucking lightning bolt will come down and strike me right in my arse. But that's that's all possible. Is that what happened there? Are they testing something new? There's... Yes. Always. Look, one of the biggest ones I've ever seen like that, where it looked like a fucking uh, weather map like that, uh, ask James from We The People Radio. He'll tell you about it. We saw it on a local weather map in downtown Vegas when I was there for... um, Justin's funeral. Yeah, but there was something going on in Vegas that weekend. Oh, the opening of the dome thing. Mm -hmm. And they, they said on the map, on the weather map, it looked like rain. But it wasn't rain. They had all those drones doing the little thing above the dome thing. And the drones made it look like they had so many drones in the air. It looked like it bounced back, reflected back from the radar as a rain cloud. So it could have been that, too. Okay. Just saying. Well, their push for green energy. Here is uh, the... Remnants of a wind farm in Queensland, Australia. I'm coming through here because I've been told that there are old turbine blades that have been just dumped here. Here they are. This is renewable energy, by the way. Remember that word renewable? There's, there's, there's nothing much renewable about these things. They, they, these are old turbine blades, quite short ones, actually. I mean, they look big, but they're some of the early 20 meters, I think. And um, now they've worn out. You can see, you look at the quality of it. It's not much life left in that. Can you recycle it? <laughs> Good luck. Great beached whales sitting here, these massive, they're not that massive, and they're the ones we've seen in action today. So when they run out, of course, what are we going to do with those? Same, same deal, right? <laughs> Just sit here. This tells the story. So $1.4 billion for the Chilumban wind farm. And in 15 years, they'll just be sitting here like this. Yep. Yep. Yippers. Can you recycle them? I mean, I could turn them into planters. That'd be about it. No. 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 You can't recycle them. Okay, but this is really interesting. Actually, you know what? They could turn you know what you could do with them though? Hmm. Just thinking outside the box here. You could set them at an angle and put a whole bunch of solar panels on them. And turn it into a solar, a solar farm. farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of having them sit there collect dust. Yeah. I mean, if we could figure out how to store the power from the sun, we could fucking use it as a solar farm. Or, yeah, we took Mike coming out of the fucking banger. What about some electroculture antennas? Shit, you know what we could do is turn them into swords. 
No, I'm dead serious. You you joke. You wait till the Giants come back. I'll be the motherfucker sell, selling them weapons. You watch. I'll be the first international fucking arms dealer to the From fucking the Giants. Giants. You watch. All right. You think telling the, you. You think the Giants are going to come back? They're oh, gonna, oh, yeah. They're going to raise up out of the earth? I think what we're we going, thought were mountains are going to turn into Giants and I, we're all going to be fucked? I think we're going to see some things we ain't never seen before. <laughs> this is true. This is I think shit on this very true. I think shit in this little test tube is going to get real interesting real quick, fast, and hurry. I agree. I agree. <clears throat> this caught my attention. When you said, talked about storing the power, we don't really need, we already have all the renewable energy we need. We just have to harness it. Check this out. The sun, but it's not like solar energy. I know right? it's yeah. not. We're not using solar energy because this one is not even affected with clouds, light, and things right. like that. It does work. So the the energy, the the radio frequencies that you're harnessing, yeah. th are they there in space in the field all the time? Yes, they are. From the first day we started testing the machine, we have been analyzing and we saw that the radio frequency is there. But one thing that we don't know for sure is. Is it alien or is it God? Is it man made from another planet or is it from God? That's where we need, I think, scientifically, scientific people to define exactly. But we know the radio frequency, we have everything. If it's still a fully charged battery, the test is successful. It's not screws. Oh, that's 217.9. That's, that's perfect. We get it. So that's the, that's the 18 batteries. Yeah, that's the 18 batteries. Oh, yeah. So that's higher than the nominal voltage. <laughs> Dude! <laughs> wow! So that is awesome. That's the 18 uh, batteries. So it has higher voltage. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> One final check of the battery voltage revealed a shocking result. Not only had the machine outlasted the expected battery life, but the batteries were still fully charged. This proved that the device was being powered from an unknown energy source. This is one of the happiest days of my life. And I am so proud of this man who has gone through so much. He's listened to the voice of the divine coming through him, and he's done whatever it takes to bring this through for humanity. So congratulations, my friend. The last eight years traveling the globe in search of insights and technologies that could radically transform our world. And we found them. So why don't we all have access to these promising breakthroughs? Grid machine, it is half a megawatt and we are aligning with the radio frequency. Behind this radio frequency converted into pure energy that is useful. We are talking of about 300 uh, standard house homes. Yeah. Okay. That you can power with one machine. So, so where's the energy coming from? We are harnessing it straight away from the the, the natural energy that God has just put in the in, in in our on our earth. Yeah, the radio frequency. So nothing unusual, but the main point is that a meter away, there's no frequencies being transmitted from a, a microwave tower. Uh, next to the park we're standing in. It's a poignant day for us here. And 
amidst the excitement of seeing this for the first time, a couple of strangers showed up on the site where we were being shown these devices. And Maxwell, the inventor, took us aside as soon as he could and said, these guys are from the government and I didn't know they were coming. Unfortunately, we're, we're truly concerned about this gentleman and we're just going to take every precaution that we can to keep ourselves safe, to keep him safe, and to keep this knowledge safe. The microphone we had on Maxwell picked up the conversation that he had with one of the officials. So we quickly got the tape translated and found out that the government official was promising Maxwell a power purchase agreement where the government would pay him for generating energy for the country. It was good corroboration that they believed he had what he claimed, although Maxwell didn't trust him because the government had already put him in prison in an effort to steal his technology. In fact, when Maxwell was put in prison, he was put in a cell with one of the richest guys in Zimbabwe, a man named Genius, that's his real name, whom the government had jailed to extort more money from. Maxwell was in great despair and praying for like five or six hours at a time. It was driving Genius crazy. And he was saying, why are you praying so much? Shut up. Finally, they ended up talking and Genius was impressed and said, okay, I'll help you, man. It was the most unlikely, couldn't have scripted it way for Maxwell to be able to have somebody on his team with real business savvy and support and it was forged right there in prison. I love that. Hey, you never know who you're gonna meet and where you're gonna meet him. So this guy in Zimbabwe, in case you guys didn't catch on there. Is made a really big harnesser of electro- Electrical. Garden or electroculture mm -hmm. energy. energy mm -hmm. And is turning it into electricity for people's houses. He found- He found a way to harness the, enough the for one kilowatt. Frequency kilowatt an hour yeah that's a lot of energy yeah electroculture works people dang yeah each one of those machines can power what did he say three homes three homes three homes one kilowatt of energy an hour one kilowatt of energy an hour and it does it 24 hours a day mm -hmm. so it's 24 kilowatts because the energy is there all the time. That's why our plants grow better at night than they do during the day because it's less diluted. Damn. Mm -hmm. Think about that crazy shit. Free energy. Just sitting there. Free energy everywhere. Tesla knew about it. Yep. They lied to us about our history. They don't tell us the true history because the true, God forbid we knew the true history. God forbid we knew that there were giants. God forbid we knew. Mm -hmm. that people used to harness free electricity all the fucking time. Have you seen some of the earliest videos of cars, the original Ford cars that were put out? Oh, you mean the electric ones? The electric ones? Yeah. Yeah. With the weird antenna in the trunk? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Looks like a coil. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like a, like the end of an atom smasher, except it's sticking out the back end of the trunk of a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was uh, really weird is I was thinking about that, that show we were watching, the one where the, the guy convinces the dude to go forward in the future, brings him to his house and he goes forward in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about that because 
imagine that they came for a longer amount of time than a week. Like imagine they were there for a year. Uh, um, not a year, but maybe like two months, mm-hmm. just so they could see what we pay bills on <clears throat> as compared to their life. And I got a feeling, folks, something tells me if you brought somebody from that time to this time and they found out that you paid for electricity and water, they would look at you like you were fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Why are you paying for something that is free? I have a feeling. I just have this weird feeling that one of the things that they don't tell us about our history is that that shit was free because, you know, do you, do y'all remember when the first time that somebody challenged somebody about Tesla, if you remember initially, it was, I think it was, uh, science and mechanics or mechanic or you remember that magazine? It was popular science or popular mechanic. I think it was popular mechanic brought it up first brought up Tesla's design and popular science, like backed it up with the sciencey part mechanics showed how Tesla's design worked. And then science said, yeah, this actually would work. It works. This would send a signal. This would collect energy and disperse energy. Well, then the government came in and said, well, yeah, there was a Tesla. And then we found out about this Tesla. And then all of a sudden, everybody started searching patents for Tesla. And then, boom, we started finding all these patents. And then they started slipping in. Oh, well, we didn't didn't really say. I mean, it was Tesla. Nobody really cared. They thought he was crazy. And then it was that he was crazy. I mean, at least that's how I remember the whole Tesla thing shaking out at the end. Initially, there was no Tesla. Then there was Tesla, but he was nuts. And then there was, well, yeah, his stuff worked. Here's his patents. And then it was, well, yeah, there was a real Tesla. And yeah, all this stuff is real. And it was like, wait a minute. We started with no Tesla. And everybody forgot that we started with no Tesla. And then we ended up with, wait, there is Tesla. And yeah, shit works. Kind of like we're starting with, no, there can only be a man and a woman to now we're at, well, you could be one of 72 different genders. Yeah. Well, it's like, if it's not happening, well, that's great that it's not happening, but if it does happen, well, that's good too. Yes, Dave, we do live in an electrical universe and we are electrical beings. When your heart stops, what do they use to start it back up again? Kilojoule of electricity. Electricity. Yeah. Because we're electrical beings. And there's power all around us. And where does most of that power come from? Hey, you know what we used to do? Anybody? Do you know what we used to do Hmm. to get your heart started? Hmm. The cardiac thump. You'd pound on it. Oh, you'd punch the shit out of their chest right on top of the heart, right on top of the muscle. Boom. And you'd basically cause that electric reaction of... Yep. Causing that thud, pushing all the blood out and pumping it right back in, hoping to jumpstart it. Yep. But where does all that energy come from? Primarily. What's the primary source? God. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the sun, but yes, God created the sun. It ultimately comes from God. But here in our finite world, we see the source of most power as the sun. That's why we have solar panels, right? The sun makes the plants grow or doesn't. 
everything grows better when it's warmer. Thank you, Dave. Yes, the sun is the source of energy. So why are they trying to take it away? Hmm. Anyway. Um, how are they trying to take it away? What do you mean? How are they, how are they trying to take it away? Oh. And now we get into the dimming. Geoengineering Watch made this documentary in 2021 called The Dimming. The, the Dimming. There yeah, I'm, I'm already feeling dimmer. Mm Perhaps the greatest lie ever perpetrated on populations all over the world is the condensation trail lie. What we're seeing in our skies is not condensation. It's sprayed particulate dispersions with very few exceptions. They shouldn't be there. Jet engines burn clean. So if there's anything coming out of them, it's an additive. They're absolutely not contrails. Contrails do not linger, dissipate, and go into cloud coverage, period, in the report. And I kept saying to people, you know, what is this? Because now the sky is no longer blue. It's starting to turn gray. And what I found was kind of like it was not socially acceptable. You know, we're all going to pretend this is not really happening. And I thought, oh, this is very bad. Most are unfamiliar with a science term called global dimming. That term refers to the amount of direct sunlight that no longer reaches the surface of the planet due to light scattering particles that are building up in the atmosphere. And although many of these particles are from industrialized pollution, the larger majority are from the ongoing climate engineering solar radiation management operations. This engine, a high bypass turbofan jet engine, this is the engine that is on all military takers and all commercial carriers, is in essence a jet-powered fan. 90% of the air that moves through this engine is non-combusted. This engine by design is nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances. And again, you know, we have film footage of aircraft flying at altitude with nozzles visible, turning on and off. That is the end of the argument. Since even before man could fly, there was an effort to try to modify the weather. We have weather modification patents going back a hundred years plus. These are historical films of what can be done with a biplane. 
a small biplane that carries a very small payload, and that much can be done. How much more can a fully loaded military tank or KC-10, KC-135, C-17 Globemaster, how much more material can they put in the air? About 500 times more than a single tanker. In regard to the condensation trail narrative, many refer back to the trails left by World War II bombers as proof that we are only seeing condensation trails in our skies. But geoengineeringwatch.org found on military archives film footage, which we posted, of World War II B-17s at altitude turning off a sprayed dispersion. We know that climate engineering was deployed immediately after World War II, so testing was absolutely ongoing. Clearly, these bombers were used for beta testing. Film footage proves it. Weather was a weapon used over Vietnam. Would you expect that to be then deleted from the availability? No. To continue to expand the scientific aspects of it, to have it available in your portfolio of weapons would be a natural process. Therefore, should you expect that it is available on demand to have the ability to modify weather? Absolutely, within this country and others. Climate engineering is the crown jewel of the military industrial complex. Climate engineering has been used to destabilize and topple nations all over the globe, facilitating military occupations by hostile countries like the US. We know that some of these countries are having their precipitation cut off because they have stated so on the floor of the UN, like the president of Iran stating emphatically that NATO weather modification programs were cutting off the precipitation to Iran, but US media never covered it. We have an economic model operating globally, which is operating based on covert force. And I have very serious questions after watching the financial patterns as to whether that financial force or that force includes weather warfare. People were coming to me, telling me about this. So because of that, I went to the government in Ottawa under freedom of information. There was a 40 page report of which half the pages were completely blank and the other half had a lot of blank outs. But there was sufficient information to tell me that, yeah, they're aware. They call it geoengineering. One of the big problems is that when we find some new technology, we get all excited by it, by the, the potential benefits of that technology. And often, implement it and, and use the technology before we have any idea of the negative effects. Shouldn't it be considered that every breath we take is laden with highly toxic particles that are wreaking havoc in our own bodies? Particles that aren't being reported by any air quality testing systems. Any official air quality testing are looking for PM10 or PM2.5, 2.5 microns at best. The climate engineering nanoparticulates are exponentially smaller. They go virtually unreported. These nanomaterials generate reactive oxygen species in biological materials, damage tissue, lead to advanced aging, cause cancer, causative agents of dementia. So, yeah, we might think that we're doing something positive for humanity to save our species, but we're also poisoning ourselves. Eventually, 
with the team that we formed at geoengineeringwatch.org, we were able to acquire a NOAA flying lab. We were able to test at altitude to confirm the elements that were showing up at the surface. Our intention was to do a point-to-point -point sampling mission. We could see these obvious patterns that were being laid down in the sky. We were really thankful for the opportunity to be able to get up to altitude. And on the return mission, we noticed that that cloud layer had descended. And we sampled below the cloud layer. We sampled through that confluent layer and above it. We found exactly the same elements listed in climate engineering patents, the same elements we found on countless surface tests of precipitation from all over the globe. Governments all over the globe and the entire climate science community are telling the population urgently that. Okay, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Since we're on this kick. Yep. So if what you're saying. I'm not saying it, he's saying it. No, okay. no, what you're saying, mm -hmm. what your overall argument is today concerning climate anxiety. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing him say, mm -hmm. and what I can piece together so far from what the two of you are putting together, if they're controlling it, what's coming? Exactly. Because if they're telling us to be anxious about it, uh -huh. what are they planning? Remember, they're going to blame the things they do on God, and they're going to take credit for the things that God does. So think about this, folks. Um, like, for instance, you guys heard about this cicada thing that's happening. This is like a once in 250 year, like possibility of this happening where these two swarms are going to supposedly eat out North Carolina. Not in a good way. <laughs> well, most of the Southeast. It's going to be pretty bad. These things are fucking enormous. Like this locusts. is what that's why they call it the land of the big buck. But this, these things are supposed to be huge. And like only these two things are, they only come together like these two swarms that are supposed to be hatching at the same time. Mm -hmm. They only hatch the same time once in every 250, 250 years. Year. Yeah. So this is some ridiculous shit. And these things are huge. Mm -hmm. these, these swarms are gigantic. They're in the millions, is what they estimate their sizes at. Um, which I don't know how they track them, but whatever. I'm sure there's some magical nerd way. But uh they're gonna try that. I think that is that I guess would be nature, wouldn't it though? Mm -hmm. That would be God. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they would take credit for that one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I just wonder, because after hearing him say what he's saying, then all of this shit is pre-planned by man. Then what are they getting ready? What are they gearing up for? Because something's coming that they're getting us ready for. We just don't know what it is yet. And they're going to blame it on God. God. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. The light bulb went off. Okay. 
All right, you got me now. The climate engineering operations, solar radiation management operations need to be immediately deployed to try to mitigate the warming of our planet, to try to preserve what's left of its life support systems. And yet when the public, those that are awake, try to bring to the attention of academia and elected officials that we see climate engineering already being conducted in our skies all over the globe. It's already been deployed. Lab tests prove it. Film footage proves it. Documents prove it. And yet we have the continued denial from the climate science community and official agencies telling us that we're not really seeing what we're seeing in the skies. They tell us if climate engineering were deployed, it would look exactly like what we're seeing in our skies. But then again, they tell us that we're not really seeing what we are actually seeing. The paradox is the more the climate engineers spray the planet, destroy the ozone layer, disrupt the hydrological cycle, and increase the overall warming of the planet, the more they feel they have to ramp these programs up to try to mitigate some of the damage that these programs have done in the first place. That is the true definition of insanity. As a society, we are uh, like a freight train heading for a broken bridge that uh, is just a few years away from us. And, and I think people don't uh, understand the exponential increase of uh, toxicity in the environment these operations should be considered the most insane endeavor ever deployed by the human race. These operations are systematically derailing all of Earth's life support systems. In the attempt to blot out the sun, the myopic short-term objective of trying to cool the planet while worsening the overall warming. The climate engineers, if these operations are allowed to continue, are pounding the nails into our collective coffins. From a scientific perspective, and what we know about nanomaterials and the effect on human health and the environment, this is a serious problem. And it really does warrant further scientific investigation. We need the answers to get to the bottom of this national security problem. If populations around the globe find out what has been done to them by their governments without their knowledge or their consent. There will be a shockwave around the globe that cannot be contained by the criminal governments that have now taken control of our planet and civilizations all over the world. Just bringing transparency will shift so many things that it will make it extremely difficult because you cannot manage an entire planet with overt force, only with covert force. If we bring transparency to who it is in the covert force, it shifts everything look at your own health and you know what is going on and if you love your children join us in in fighting what we need to fight this is a just fight it's the right fight it's the right cause and if the climate engineering operations which are derailing earth's life support systems are not immediately exposed and halted all other challenges for the human race become moot because the planet will no longer support life. We are in completely uncharted territory. Virtually the entire web of life is being systematically contaminated and decimated by the ongoing climate engineering operations. On top of all other forms of human activity or anthropogenic activity that are wreaking havoc in the web of life, climate engineering, mathematically, statistically speaking, is the single greatest and most immediate threat we collectively face short of nuclear cataclysm. Sounds like
like pure science fiction, but there is a growing underground movement of people who believe that our harsh drought is part of a government conspiracy. Here, outlandish ideas like weather warfare and climate engineering, in other words, weather control, are accepted as basic fact. Climate engineering is the greatest single assault on the environment ever launched by humanity, without question. Dane Wigginton, lead researcher for Geoengineering Watch, is sounding the alarm. Climate engineering, they say, is to blame for the harshest recorded drought in California history. Dane is used to skeptics. He once was one himself. Talk is cheap for those that haven't investigated. I didn't want to believe this either. His background is in solar power. He started investigating on his own about a decade ago. After becoming suspicious, something was partially blocking the sun's energy from reaching his solar home. I grew up in Southern California, choking in a sea of smog. None of the adults around me seemed concerned about the conditions, but for me, life in the toxic murk was intolerable. I have always fully recognized the immense damage being inflicted on the planet by countless forms of human activity. I lectured on anthropogenic global warming. I dreamt of clean air and blue skies. I dreamt of living in untainted wilderness off the grid. I dreamt of planting trees and watching them grow and thrive. I dreamt of coexisting with the wild inhabitants of the forest. I finally made it to the serene setting I had craved for so long, a remote forested mountaintop in Northern California. But the dream soon turned to a nightmare. When I began to lose significant amounts of my solar power uptake from my off-grid wilderness home, I knew something was radically wrong. We are officially told that the aircraft emitted trails in our skies that linger, spread, and sometimes cover the entire horizon are just condensation. But the condensation trail narrative is perhaps the greatest lie ever perpetrated on populations all over the world. It is not possible for condensation to block at times 60, 70, even 80% of my solar power uptake. I began to research the issue of geoengineering, AKA climate engineering, programs that governments around the globe and in climate science communities have told us are only proposals. Yet, there they were in the skies above me. Even today, we are being told falsely by the climate science community that we have one final card to play to try to avert total climate collapse, total planetary meltdown, but this is in fact a lie. Climate engineering, weather modification patents go back more than a hundred years, but all available data indicates that programs were first deployed at scale immediately after World War II and deployed over the polar regions in the attempt to increase the size of the polar ice packs and thus try to regulate Earth's temperatures. It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather. And he who controls the weather will control the world. Numerous government documents posted at geoengineeringwatch.org, some as much as 800 pages long, prove that global governments, even governments that the public perceives as being adversarial, are in fact colluding and cooperating on the climate engineering issue due to the cross-border ramifications. You can't climate engineer over your own country without affecting the entire planet. They are all working together on these issues and other governments around the globe are either actively or passively cooperating. Is the government experimenting with our weather? 
People say the government is up there in airplanes spraying all kinds of chemicals to change or manipulate the weather. It is called geoengineering, fighting global warming by putting a chemical dust in the atmosphere and reflecting harmful radiation back into space. You could use barium oxide, for example, uh, which makes big fluffy clouds. You could use tiny little bits of aluminum, which is benign in the environment, and essentially manage the climate. There are 172 bills before the U.S. Senate right now calling for more weather modification programs. A Weather Modification Act calling for research in, quote, attempting to change or control by artificial methods the natural development of atmospheric cloud forms. My personal opinion is that we have to keep geoengineering on the table. We have to look at it very carefully because we might get desperate enough to want to use it. There is a line of research on what's called geoengineering, which are various techniques that would delay the heating to bias 20 or 30 years to get our act together. The stated goal of some of the world's most recognized geoengineers, like Dr. David Keith and Dr. Ken Caldera, is to put 10 to 20 million tons of nanoparticulates into global skies annually. That's an inconceivable amount of material. This material is on top of industrialized pollution. Right? This is about how we engineer the planet. It's about the fact, an uncomfortable fact, but it is a fact that we have the technical ability to do this. They are all fast acting, they are cheap, and they are fundamentally imperfect. They're the problems of how you control something where an individual country can have tremendous leverage over the whole planet's climate and where there are winners and losers in ways that, that really could be unpredictable. And I mean, not to frighten you, but I think you can imagine scenarios that lead to war. Another example is the array of technologies, often referred to collectively as geoengineering, that potentially could help reverse the warming effects of global climate change. One that has gained my personal attention is stratospheric aerosol injection. There's all sorts of ways you could do this, uh, but the standard idea has always been spray sulfuric acid in the stratosphere, 20 kilometers over our head, and use that to stop the planet warming up. The example many people cite was when uh, the Mount Pinatubo volcano uh, exploded, and uh, all of this ash went into the air and had a cooling effect on the Earth. And so people have long proposed since the mid-60s that you could artificially add dust to the stratosphere and cool the planet. Not that this would be a good solution for global warming, it would not. But it does show the way we're steadily developing the powers to manipulate the planet with comparative ease. That sulfur in the lower atmosphere is masking some mm -hmm. of the climate warming from CO2. So is this the global dimming or something? Yeah. Other leading ideas basically to emulate what big volcanoes do, put material in the stratosphere to reflect sunlight. So the problem is the following. If you add SO2 to the stratosphere, SO2 doesn't condense. So you might want to put alumina in. Alumina has a very high nature of fraction. It's very small. It doesn't coagulate. And you can engineer particles that have particular properties. You can get them out of the stratosphere. You can concentrate particles near the poles. Costs are so cheap that the richest people on the planet could perhaps afford to buy an ice age. It's extraordinarily cheap. I knew it was cheap when I found that they were quoting me in tons. It's also true that particles, as they get bigger, fall out a lot faster. We sort of step back and think, okay, well, how would you actually make particles in the stratosphere? This is really engineering now. If it was aerosols in the stratosphere, it would likely be put there by airplanes. Start with a fleet of just two or three kind of modified business jets. The basic idea is that if you let a plume off on an aircraft by just changing some little details, you can actually get much smaller particle size distributions by doing this kind of spraying. So there are all sorts of side effects. I'll get to them in a second. But, but if you put sulfuric acid in the stratosphere, for example, you could deplete stratospheric ozone. Smaller size means more surface area, uh, uh, but more surface area means less ozone. 
Uh, is the stuff in the stratosphere going to be killing some number of people that are going to be as so sacrificed? It's, it's, a, it's an obvious concern. If it kills a million people, it's we're only bad. doing 1% more, we're just killing 10,000 more people. You can do math. Okay. But that's, so, so killing people is not the objective here. So if I made a decision, or if it was a collective decision to do a geoengineering program, and you put, say, uh, the kind of program I think makes more sense, we put about a million tons a year in, but let's say, you might end up killing many tens of thousands of people a year as a direct result of that decision. And so the only thing that we can do to cool the planet, or that society can do to cool the planet, is deploy these sorts of technologies. And by the way, it's not really a moral hazard. It's more like free riding on our grandkids. And it means there are going to be winners and losers, just like there are winners and losers for CO2, but there are different winners and losers. So this makes the problem, if anything, harder to solve. You've introduced another dimension of complexity into the managing the planet's climate problem. What we're watching financially is a great deal of public policy being promoted on the theory that we have climate change. And yet in that discussion, we never talk about, well, what's all this spraying and how is that involved? Engineering the weather gives you the ability to overcome or prevent droughts. It gives you the ability to inflict them if you don't go along. And the brilliance of inflicting a drought is there's no popular support against you. So this kind of invisible warfare, if it can be done, is very effective, it would seem to me, both positive and negative. Well, imagine if you can predict the weather over long periods of time, how much money you can make. You know, you can trade it. How do you manage money in that world? Many people message me confused and bewildered as to how it is possible that such colossal programs can occur in skies above our heads, programs of climate engineering and solar radiation management that are literally decimating Earth's life support systems and these programs are not being acknowledged by any official source, not being acknowledged by the climate science community that has indeed betrayed the human race and the entire web of life by their denial of the ongoing climate engineering elephant in our skies. And the people that message me are perplexed at how such atrocities can be ongoing for so many decades. And we have still official denial and we have populations that are all too willing to accept that denial. I began to test for some of the primary elements named in climate engineering solar radiation management patents, starting with aluminum, barium, and strontium. My test came back from the state certified lab. To my dismay, these elements indeed were present in significant amounts, and subsequent tests showed higher and higher and higher amounts, continuing to escalate until one test was as high as 3,450 parts per billion of aluminum. This is highly toxic rain. I knew my life would never be the same because I can't look the other way. It's completely intolerable for me to live under toxic skies. And what about the trees? What about the bats, the bears, the birds, the bees? They have no voice except for us. I began to try to bring this issue to light from that moment on. Initially, few would listen, few would look at the data. But as time went on, and as more and more people woke up along the way and realized the significance attempting to play God with the weather and engineer Earth's life support systems. More individuals from different arenas joined the effort to try to sound the alarm. I want to tell you that we're in very great danger from the pollution that's coming down over us. And we've been led astray by the military industrial complex. 
and they're responsible for the cloud's creation and weather manipulation programs. I sacrificed four years of my life defending the people of my country just to come home and find there are greater threats here domestically. There's something going on. I don't know who it is or why they're doing it. All I can testify is it's not natural and it's not normal. Now, the aluminum content of rain should be zero. And uh, there's a lot of argument that aluminum is very common to be found. But aluminum is only common in a bonded form. It's not common in a free form. And we're finding high rates of free aluminum because you can spread so many small little particles through the environment. It dramatically increases the surface area that's in that environment because there's so many of them. When you look up at the sun and you see a white haze, that is aluminum floating in the air right now. And it's coming from the aircraft. Solar radiation management, SRM, to block the sun. That's the stated purpose. The, the consequences don't seem to be considered with these programs, but that is the stated purpose on almost all UN and global governance documents for these programs. And in the past five years, I've seen the number of patients with Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, and other neurodegenerative diseases tremendously increased, almost quadruple. United States Code says you cannot experiment on the American public, and if you do, you got to report it to Congress within 30 days. Where's the proof that it did that? But it's also to get the media to start reporting on this. So all of us have a consequence that we may not be aware of, and it is important for all of us to join together and to put a stop to these programs and to hold public discussions on them for as much as possible. And I want all of you to know that it's important that we realize that this is not normal and natural, that these are programs, experimental programs that are being conducted at this time. And we all have to stand up and say no. This tank can be used for disseminating all types of agents. Anti-crop spray from aircraft using the Aero X2A has proved very effective in field trials. For larger planes, the Air Force has perfected spray equipment. This B-17 has several spraying nozzles and carries the tank in the bomb bay. I'm Charles Jones, Brigadier General, U.S. Air Force, retired. In the years 1953 through 1962, I was stationed in Germany. Then we moved to England in 1959 while assigned to the 42nd Tactical Reconnaissance Squadron with dual missions of electronic countermeasures and weather reconnaissance. We also had the responsibility of reporting jet engine contrails throughout our area of responsibility in Europe, North Africa, the Mediterranean, and Eastern Atlantic. We were responsible for pinpointing exact altitudes of all jet engine contrails noted within the flying area of responsibility in both the weather and ECM aircraft missions. We became experts on jet engine aircraft contrails and all of their characteristics. Much different from the white aircraft spray trails that consist of scientifically verifiable strains of aluminum particles and other toxic heavy metals, polymers, and chemical components. These are the long white spray trails that linger and slowly expand into light cloud cover that soon cover entire areas with an overcast, very light cloud cover. We're never going to get to the bottom of climate change 
until everything is laid on the table about geoengineering and the disasters that it can and is causing. My name is Richard Rolig. I served a career of 34 years in the United States Air Force. I was able to achieve the rank of Major General. I was in the acquisition business, developing new weapon systems, and did lead one major top secret program for three years. During the 10 years I worked at Raytheon, the exposure to various programs was limited to what they wanted you to work on. So even though I still had the top secret clearance and certain programs I got exposed to, that was not one of them. That was compartmentalized as it should be. And unless you had a direct impact or you were personally involved in it, you would not have received that particular clearance. It goes back to around October of 17. I'm residing near an Air Force base here in Tucson, Arizona, Davis Montham Air Force Base. Aircraft exiting, doing their flight training, etc. And having lived around Air Force my whole life, my father even being a pilot, it became obvious to me that the contrails that were coming out of some of the aircraft in the local area were not normal looking. They took on a different texture, they spread differently. And so as a result, I started talking to a couple ex-pilots that are part of the organizations, asked them to look at it. My wife is a pilot. I had brought her out of the house. We looked at the contrails and it was obvious that they were not normal. So as a result, we started doing a little research. You know, we called it the elephant in the sky. I mean, everybody on the planet is looking up and seeing this kind of spraying going on. I became involved in weather modification uh, analysis uh, due to my background uh, as a weather observer in the United States Air Force. And as I was looking at the jet clouds in the sky, I realized that that's certainly not normal. And so I've been watching these abnormal clouds for a long time. Well, I started to learn about geoengineering just in a very personal way. I uh, decided to leave Washington in 1998. I bought a, a small property in a farming community in Tennessee, and I still had business in Washington, and so I would drive back and forth between Tennessee and Washington, but I was also driving around the country networking with a variety of people trying to understand what was going on in the economy. And as I was driving around, I saw this spring, and literally you had planes crisscrossing in very unusual patterns back you know they'd fly back and forth and you get this tapestry of crisscross spraying that would just hang in the sky for a long time as an investment person you're adding it up in your mind you know okay we have two planes over this county flying this many hours and spraying this much stuff this is very expensive <laughs> who's paying for this and i was doing a lot of research at the time on a great deal of money that was going missing from the federal government on a covert basis. On one hand, you have all this money going missing. And on the other hand, you have this fantastically expensive spraying program going on. The ongoing global climate engineering operations must be considered a new Manhattan project on a scale that is almost inconceivable. Governments all over the globe are either actively or passively participating in the ongoing climate engineering insanity, all for their own reasons, all in the attempt 
to keep business as usual until the last possible moment. Geoengineering is occurring. It's been occurring. It is not new. And your tax dollars are funding this. Well, my name is um, Kristen Megan Edwards. I am a U.S. Air Force veteran. I served nine years on active duty working in bioenvironmental engineering. Upon my separation, which was honorably, I went and worked for the VA in the Veterans Health Administration as an industrial hygienist and an environmental specialist. So as an industrial hygienist, my job was to protect people from such things as heavy carcinogenic metals and hazardous materials. And through that, all items that came on base was approved through what is called an Air Force Form 3952. And that is a hazardous materials acquisition. So in order for a chemical to be brought on base, it had to be tied to a specific task. If people were painting aircraft, we knew where that paint was going and what it was being used for. And this was all for liability. So when you start to find constituents coming on the base that you're trying to remove from the base and engineer out through different industrial processes, that was a red flag for me and really told me to do my own research. I've often wondered with the large amount of people in all branches of the military who work in an environmental facet, why they aren't coming forward. I don't think a lot of people are connecting the dots. I wouldn't have stumbled upon why these constituents were being brought on base unless I had heard about geoengineering. So a lot of times I think people are supporting an operation but haven't really seen outside information to tie it to why this is going on. To see how much taxpayer dollars are used in military operations, whether they're peacetime or wartime, to see how much money is spent to reduce hazards, again, that affect human health and impact the environment. It's a complete contradiction to geoengineering using wartime exemptions to not be cited through the EPA. This is a huge waste. This is fraud and waste from the U.S. government. And that this is allowed to go on to me is unbelievable. I think it's one of the uh, most dangerous, diabolical things that uh, has ever happened to us. It's the most dangerous thing uh, short of a nuclear cataclysm. So I take it very, very seriously and we'll do everything I can to try and expose the problem and encourage people to do likewise. Well, when I was growing up, I was really a fan of Kurt Vonnegut and Kurt wrote some remarkable works. And I later learned that most of the fodder for that work came from the work of his brother, Bernard Vonnegut, who was a scientist at the GE under Irving Langmuir, the lead scientist there. That work was focused on the production of ice crystals at elevated temperature using a compound called silver iodide. I would like to take you into the laboratory and show you a few of the experiments that led us to our outdoor experiments in converting clouds into snow. These are some which I photographed that were formed in the laboratory. This is a picture of the first cloud that we seeded back last November putting dry ice from a small dispenser in the bottom of the plane. Under many conditions, of course, full-fledged snowstorms will be produced in this way. Nature at last has permitted to do a little something about the weather. These were something that scientists had worked on, developed through the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, and was likely being deployed even today. The research done by Vonnegut and Langmuir coincided with changes in our sky. As these programs, or at least this type of research increased, the skies started to change. My first real observation of those changes and real awareness of it came, I was looking up and saw patterned skies 
of these uh, trails that were being laid out by planes, then developing into confluent layers that would drift perhaps hundreds of miles, changes the weather, changes the temperature around you, also the light intensity and the quality of light was changing. It was funny that there was not really a lot of published literature on this material. There had been some governmental reports that I had uh, dug into. There was some evidence that this type of research was being conducted. And in fact, there was a presentation that was given where Dane Wigginton asked some questions about the materials that they were discussing and their possible role in weather modification programs. Numerous air quality studies, uh, including from uh, CARB, California Air Quality Resource Board, have named submicron sized particulates as being particularly harmful for human respiration. Through all the discussions today, uh, I have not heard any mention of this fallout, and has, has this been studied, and also the effects of a highly reactive metal like aluminum on toxifying soils and waters? The question is, what would be the effects of these materials on human health if they come down into the stratosphere? In, uh, in, in particular, uh, small particles of aluminum. We, in our final model, we looked at how much additional acid rain, acid, acid snow you would get from the sulfur coming out of the stratosphere if you did it at a rate of five megatons per year or 10 megatons per year of sulfate. And it turns out that amount is so much smaller than what humans put in the troposphere on an annual basis by burning fossil fuels as a byproduct. That even in pristine areas, the soil would have a burning capacity and the, it wouldn't be harmful. So, so the, the collaborators in my work on the aerosol scheme are actually folks from Carnegie Mellon who focused on human health impacts. And while we haven't published it, that was the very first thing we did, was do the order of magnitude calculation that will have some paper, but with an expert on human health impacts about whether there could be an issue. And the answer is, no, so for the numbers of particles that are in the stratosphere are so tiny compared to the loadings of human health. There are other things that worry me a lot, like the rain on these particles in the upper troposphere, where they might affect high clouds. And, and for aluminum or other particles, there are a lot of toxicological things that need to be looked at seriously. But if you just think about the sheer number of particles and human health impact of small particles, the answer is, well, we haven't published it. That was the first thing we looked at with some of the leading experts who do heavy emotional research on human health impacts and it's not even close to the like 10 megatons of aluminum dumped into the, the uh, atmosphere will have no human health impact. So so let me be more careful. We're separating out the toxicological, but so the aluminum we've only begun to research and published nothing. The question I was asking was about purely about particle numbers. So what we did is we said look at some global estimates now we have of of aerosol global estimates that were built for epidemiological purposes of the global loading of aerosols in terms of health impacts. And we said if we added on top of that what we're doing from the stratospheric aerosols, could it have any impact? And the answer is that that was totally irrelevant. But that was just on particle number. We haven't done anything serious on Lumina, and so there could be something terrible that we'll find tomorrow we haven't. So after I saw that footage, uh, I contacted Dane and I started asking him some questions myself because I was interested in what he knew already. I mean, he was very forthcoming with all types of information. I realized that he had published a lot of material online and I started perusing that material. 
and uh, found that you know he was digging at something where there was a, again a lack of available scientific evidence, and that's where I became quite interested in contributing in any way that I could. I then working further with Dane, and with great thanks to our contributors, uh, was able to take a number of flights where we could sample through these condensation trails or these confluent layers that had been laid out earlier in the day. So on the first sampling mission, we started at the Baltimore-Washington International Airport. The University of Maryland has a twin-engine Cessna that is a flying laboratory. It has a sampling nozzle at the front of the plane that collects air samples prior to any contact with the plane or the engines or anything behind. Those samples are then taken through a tube, passed through a filter cassette, and these filters are glass fiber filters that are pretty large pore space filters that uh, do effectively capture ground pollution. So PM 2.5, those particle sizes are 2.5 microns, and they've done a really good job of it. But it's not really the proper equipment to completely evaluate the number of particles that might be smaller than that. And we're talking 10 to 100 times smaller than the PM 2.5 particles. But those do capture some of them. And we flew in an air-controlled zone and basically flew big circles trying to get the altitude, but the control towers wouldn't actually allow us uh, to reach the altitude that we needed. They basically want you to pass through that zone. The second flight that we conducted was flown from BWI to Albany International Airport. All right, we're just in pre-flight here. This morning, we witnessed, well, we observed emissions from several planes, several high-altitude planes, flying between 25 and some of 40,000 feet. And the trails that were left behind in these uh, planes spread out into a confluent layer. And the low angle of the sun in the morning allowed for us to observe the uh, polarizing effects of those particles using simple polarizing lenses. We could see these obvious patterns that were being laid out in the sky. We were really thankful for the opportunity to be able to get up to altitude that we could observe these materials and sample that cloud layer. Our intention was to do a point-to-point -point sampling mission where we could actually reach altitudes you know, approaching 20,000 feet. Unfortunately, on our flight from BWI to Albany, the layer that we observed was at 27,000 feet, and I think we made it to about 23,000 feet, perhaps, and so we were below that confluent layer that we observed. We landed, had lunch, they refueled the plane. We have two uh, blanks of control samples. One was taken prior to the flight, one was taken after the flight. So we should have, again, two um, blank samples, and actually three samples, one on ascent, one at level flight, and then slight ascent from 17,000 to 21,000, and then changed the filter and uh, filtered, took another sample, third sample, uh, as we descended. And then on the return mission, though, we noticed that that cloud layer had descended from 25 or 27,000 feet to about 17,000 feet. So we could easily reach through that and we sampled below the cloud layer. And I'm saying cloud, I mean an induced cloud layer. We sampled through that confluent layer and above it.
the basic building blocks of climate engineering are to saturate the atmosphere with electrically conductive light scattering particles and polymers, particles like aluminum, barium, strontium, manganese. These particles are then manipulated with extraordinarily powerful radio frequency microwave transmissions. Transmissions that can heat the upper layers of the atmosphere like the ionosphere that are used to create pressure zones that steer upper level wind currents, which then steer weather systems. These particulates, when they are manipulated with these frequencies, can literally move air masses. This is an integral part of climate engineering that is not known or being acknowledged by many. Extraordinarily powerful and dangerous radio frequency microwave transmissions. Electromagnetic fields are energy sources and they're going to be interacting with moisture in the air or our bodies or whatever. And therefore, it's not at all surprising that you're going to find some movement in, in relation to exposure of weather patterns to electromagnetic fields. When you have things like HARP that can send electromagnetic waves into the air column, if you send, you know, lower frequencies, you can calm it all down and you can cool it. Or you can excite it and you can heat it up. So there's complete control of temperature within the environment. In 1985, Bernard Eastland applied for patents. Many claim that these patents have become the blueprint for HARP, High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. HARP is, is a large antenna where we beam radio frequency energy up into the upper atmosphere. Applications uh, discussed in the patents included destroying missiles. Communications control and disruption were included. There were some other ideas both to possibly modify weather. What we can do with an antenna is change the, the portion of the sky into which we insert the energy. HARP's combined antennae generate a focused billion-watt high-frequency radio beam, which penetrates the lower ionosphere and interacts with the currents of the auroral electrojet. In certain applications, the military acknowledges that it can literally lift the ionosphere, and what they say is it's not a problem, it's a short period of time, yet when you lift the ionosphere up, the lower atmosphere rushes in and fills that void, which changes localized weather patterns. At its biggest size suggested, if you beamed it for an hour and a half, that would equal the energy in a hydrogen bomb. HARP is only one installation of perhaps a hundred that are on that scale around the globe. You can create high pressure domes. In the Northern Hemisphere, that creates a clockwise spin, just like the pulley. That allows them to steer the upper level winds into nearly any configuration they wish. So the areas that are under that high pressure dome fry, they fry. Take a look at that round bubble. Is that not telling? That's a high pressure dome parked right over the top of us that ensures nothing, nothing can flow in. You would never see this meteorologically 20 years ago, never. When you have two things that have the same mechanism of action. One would expect that their effects would be either additive or more than additive, that being synergistic. So we're talking about weather patterns. So you have fog, you have water droplets, you have water in the air when 
those water droplets are irradiated with microwaves, they're going to do the same thing they do in our body. They're going to generate reactive oxygen species. And when nanoparticles are in that water, they're going to do the same thing they do in our body. They're going to generate reactive oxygen species. So at minimum, one would expect that these effects would be additive with the possibility that it could be more than additive. And if frequencies do that to particulates, again, what's it doing to us? What's it doing to the web of life? Given anything that's alive has water in it in some form or another, what's happening to us with this? And watch what happens to a flow of water when it's exposed to frequency. Very hard to believe. And when you feel that with particulates, the effect is even more profound. There's a radio frequency transmitter that based on the signal transmission direction is isolating precipitation and blocking out a whole section of precipitation. These are one of the radio frequency transmitters and they're being put up all over the country, all over the world, wherever the grid power will support them. Again, you saw the radio frequency transmission carving out a 90 degree inside corner. That's the overall effect in the end. Completely unnatural, there's not a meteorologist that doesn't know this is going on. No chance. Then he asked this question, can cyclones, can hurricanes be manipulated? The short answer is yes. Project Cirrus. The US military has been engaged in hurricane manipulation programs since at least 1947. And these programs have been ongoing ever since, although the US military denies it. They claim they stopped this research. That is a blatant lie. Geoengineeringwatch.org has captured film footage of the radio frequency transmissions being used to manipulate the atmospheric particulates sprayed by climate engineering operations in order to steer and direct hurricanes. They can be manipulated to a degree that few can comprehend. We have NASA satellite images available at geoengineeringwatch.org that show extraordinary atmospheric manipulation off the west coast of Africa where cyclones in the Atlantic basin originate. There's no theory, there's no hypothesis, there's no conjecture. Cyclone manipulation is absolutely positively being done. Some of this technology actually came out of the stealth program. Stealth was the idea that you would try to reduce the amount of radar energy that would be reflected off of an aircraft. You could put particles of metal into the paint itself. These particles would then absorb the energy. But if you put that up into the air and then you broadcast a signal, that is tuned to the exact frequency that matches the size. And this is the key. All of these particles are the same exact size, so they respond to a specific frequency. So when you transmit this frequency, you can get all those particles to heat up. And if that mass of air has moisture in it, any kind of humidity at all, it all rises and expands. So this is how you can actually generate a weather system. The primary aspect of climate engineering is the climate engineer's ability to manufacture winter weather with patented processes of chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. In doing so, they can seed cloud moisture with what is termed endothermic reacting elements, energy absorbing elements that create a cold, dense layer of air that sinks to the surface of the planet and creates a shallow layer of cold, perhaps a few hundred feet thick, that creates the illusion of winter weather on a planet that's in total meltdown. So the surface temperatures are in fact very cold, sometimes astoundingly cold, but it's a shallow surface layer. Manufacturing winter weather events that are then sensationalized by corporate media 
dividing the population, again, confusing them as to the true state of the planet and the true temperatures on planet Earth. They have focused oftentimes on particular regions, like in 2014 in Boston on the east coast of the U.S., creating snowstorm after snowstorm after snowstorm with chemically nucleated moisture and creating sensationalized headlines from that event. 100 million Americans have been hit by a winter storm packing pretty much everything in the weather arsenal. And convincing much of the population that there was nothing wrong with the climate, that there was in fact record cold in some places, and thus in places where there was record warmth even during winter months, people tend to ignore that. As the planetary warming becomes a runaway event, the chemical ice nucleation elements that have been seeded into cloud moisture reach the surface before freezing. Thus, so-called frozen rain and ice storms are increasingly becoming the norm. How many know of the ice balls showing up on the shores of Lake Michigan, covering beaches, often 75 pounds or more, occurring at times on water that is 40 degrees plus Fahrenheit? How does that happen from chemical ice nucleation? This is nothing short of winter weather warfare, complete with destructive ice accumulations from the chemical ice nucleation cloud seeding and dangerously slick snow-like frozen material that contains surfactants. They're used in climate engineering, chemical ice nucleation cloud seeding operations in order to reduce particle coagulation, i.e. to keep the climate engineering elements from sticking together and forming larger particulates that would sink faster to the planet, which would not be conductive to the winter weather warfare scenario. The cryosphere, Earth's ice deposits, are melting at a pace that is unprecedented in the geologic past. The true magnitude of the planetary meltdown has been masked by statistical falsification. The climate engineers have attempted to hide this fact from populations. In order to mask the true severity of polar meltdown from populations, the climate engineers have utilized methods of sea surface ice nucleation. The effect of these operations can easily be distinguished on satellite images. The paradox with sea surface ice nucleation is this. The climate engineers are actually putting a lid or a cap on oceans that are already too warm for natural ice nucleation to occur. In doing so, the climate engineers are, in effect, sealing the heat in the oceans, thus increasing the overall heating of the planet. It's another larger specimen of black oak. It's mid-February. It's already leafing out. It's two months ahead of when it should be leafing out. The leaves last fall stayed on the trees, and in late November, December, when a certain series of rains comes, we've seen this the last four years, all the leaves on the deciduous trees wad up dead, but still hang on the tree. As you see lower down on this tree, that's what we have. It appears to us as if some sort of defoliant is included in the aerosol spray mix and we know fruit farmers have been using this type of method to cause their orchards to go dormant for years. This is because the temperatures have been rising so progressively. Defoliants remove the foliage or leaves from the plant. A week after defoliation spraying, the plants stand dry and almost leafless. Defoliation, a maneuver designed to peel back the cover from which the Viet Cong spring ambushes on allied supply convoys and troop movements. Decomposition of forest floor duff, the materials on the forest floor, leaves, pine needles, twigs and sticks, is now almost non-existent. 
soil microbiome has been devastated. The root systems of trees and forest flora are dying off, just as the crowns of the trees are also dying off. Climate engineering contamination is not only killing soil microorganisms, it is also causing trees to shut down nutrient uptake, which in turn initiates a slow, protracted death of the forest. Because of Earth's collapsing ozone layer, intense UV radiation is causing the stomata, the respiratory ports of trees, to shut down. Thus, trees don't respirate. They can't feed. They're simply dormant. The forest no longer smells like a forest because the trees are not breathing. Even during the spring and summer months, an increasing number of trees are growthless. What we are left with is stagnant, silent, dry, dead, and dying forests that are just a spark away from total incineration. Every single person that I've talked to so far has made the mention that I don't know why it's doing what it's doing. It's burning differently. It's burning uh, more aggressive um, than, than it has in years past. And I know we say that every year, but it, it's, it's unprecedented. It's burning in every direction all at the same time. The single greatest factor that is creating the conditions for the unprecedented wildfires all over the globe is climate engineering. Why? Because climate engineering is disrupting the hydrological cycle, i.e. the rain cycle. Climate engineering is destroying the ozone layer, which is bombarding forests with incredibly intense UV radiation, killing them from the top down. Climate engineering is ionizing the atmosphere, making it more electrically conductive. And this in turn facilitates more dry lightning, igniting yet more fires. Climate engineering is blanketing forest foliage and forest floors with a highly incendiary dust, aluminum nanoparticulates, barium, polymers. This further adds to the flammability of the forest. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering is the single greatest causal factor in regard to the epic forest fires that are consuming forests all over the globe. The equilibrium of our planet has been completely obliterated. And there are now feedback loops that have been triggered, as many as 50. It means once you knock a domino over, that domino knocks over a larger domino and still a larger domino. And the process continues, and that is now occurring on planet Earth. And now we have methane releasing from formerly frozen methane hydrate deposits all over the globe in Siberian tundra on the Arctic seafloor. Methane is escaping, rising into the atmosphere, and covering the planet like a layer of glass. Methane over a 10-year time horizon is from 100 to 120 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. There's enough methane in these deposits to turn our planet into Venus many times over, and it is releasing now. And climate engineering, in the attempt to mask what is unfolding, has actually further fueled the process. Climate engineering alters upper-level wind currents. That, in turn, alters ocean currents. Now we have warm water pumping into the Arctic in places it should not be, causing massive methane blowouts that have to be seen to be believed. They can be seen when they occur on terrestrial areas like the Siberian tundra massive craters that look like something from a massive nuclear war. The question is that people should be asking is if this is going on, why is nobody talking about it? Under the security classifications that a program can have directed upon it, it can keep it in a narrow vein and keep transparency away totally, absolutely. And the same can be 
with the contractors and subcontractors that work on the same program. That is to be expected. Any contractor that deals with a classified program will be as compartmentalized as the government program office is. That's the whole purpose. The ground rules are the same. In fact, you can't even bring that home and talk about it with your family or your friends or other work parties that are not also cleared on that specific program, whatever program that is. You only are told what you need to know. And so they assume that most people don't need to know anything and uh, the rest to only know a little bit, except the people who are pulling the strings. Many ask why environmental groups are not addressing the climate engineering issue. They appear to be more concerned about protecting their 501c3 nonprofit than they are about protecting the environment. Ignoring and obfuscating the truth about verifiable sources of damage to the environment is not protection. This is total betrayal. It's the same fraudulent behavior we see from every large corporation on the planet towing the line for the power structure while decimating the entire biosphere in the process. Turning two blind eyes to this situation will not save us from the reality of the near-term impact we are facing. Here's the bottom line. There can be no legitimate discussion about the climate or the state of the climate without first and foremost, including the climate engineering issue. We do not have political representation for anybody being interested in saving this planet. And that is something I cannot understand. There is a an ever-increasing unhealthy cooperation between really all of the major media and the forces behind the scenes that are responsible for the environmental destruction. So many people try to deny that these programs could be occurring because they claim if they were occurring, there would be people lining up to blow the whistle. And that is so utterly and totally false when we know that with modern day surveillance, Every word that anybody of significance says is recorded somewhere by someone. And when we know what happens to whistleblowers like Julian Assange, why would anyone line up to put their own neck on the block to blow the whistle on these types of programs knowing it will at minimum destroy their life? Even though half the pages were blanked out completely and others partially, uh, the fact that they provided me this information and acknowledged, yes, they were, they were aware, it's geoengineering, it's, uh, they were aware and they knew it was happening and they were monitoring and part of it in that respect. So it's happening, no doubt about it. If these programs were in any sense benevolent, why would there be an illegal federal gag order right now on all National Weather Service and all NOAA employees, the nation's weathermen, an illegal federal gag order? Well, that should tell you right away that all of this is happening at a really high level, obviously. So they won't take questions on it. They feed us BS information on what's going on. The people that are telling us what we ought to be doing are leading us astray. And there needs to be a comeuppance and a really good investigation of what's going on. If you look at the total wealth that we can create on planet Earth, if we create a financial system which supports life and is in alignment with life, what I will tell you is our current financial wealth is less than 1% of what's possible. We don't have economic problems on planet Earth. We have a political problem. 
but the, the economy is so suboptimized. And that's because there is this force controlling it from top down. So whatever's going on, I say tell the people because, you know, the people can deal with it and the people can, whatever problem there is, they can deal with it or they can solve it. So I'm big on transparency. And I know if enough people push for enough transparency, we can figure it out. Could a strange substance found by a Southwest Arkansas man be part of a government test? Baseline News 12 investigation reporter Jeff Farrell shows us the results of testing we had done about what's in our skies. They begin as normal contrails with jet engines, but do not fade away like a normal contrail. KSLA News 12 had the sample tested at a lab. The results? A high level of barium, 6.8 parts per million, more than three times the toxic level set by the EPA. We're um, just about ready to go into the clean room facility. We will be looking at uh, the samples uh, by scanning electron microscopy. Scanning electron microscopy will provide information about the particle size distribution. We will be able to get some elemental analysis. What really this uh, technique is for is to prioritize our samples for downstream, more advanced imaging, more high resolution imaging, uh, especially by transmission electron microscopy. Put on a fresh pair of gloves. We're going to start with uh, sample number eight. This is a blank that was collected uh, on the return flight. Uh, no flow through this filter, so this filter should be free of any particulates. I'm going to use these uh, scissors and forceps that have been cleansed with um, isopropanol and then acetone, wipe free with these dust-free cloths. These are the series of samples that we're interested in. These are samples number 9, 10, and 11. These were taken on the return flight where the plane passed through an induced uh, cloud layer. Um, number 10, I believe, is the one that was uh, passed through a cloud layer at around um, somewhere between 17 and 19,000 feet. I will uh, take time to cleanse the incidents between each sample. Preparing sample number nine. Near the center, opening it to ensure that the surface that had received the particulates is facing upward. Number nine is completed. Now processing sample number 10. additional uh, sample. This uh, blank sample uh, was taken after the uh, plane landed and three of the samples containing actual airflow particulates uh, have been corrected. So we have one prior to the mission and one at the Prior to imaging, these samples are coated with a thin layer of uh, platinum Platinum helps to take the excess charge or electrons and drain them off to the stub. And now uh, we'll do the samples where we pass through the cloud. A few little bright particles. This 
particle here is probably the one that we'll do the most analysis on. So the general image that we're seeing now are the glass fibers from the glass fiber filter itself. And the bright particles are bright areas that we see are areas operating in the so-called backscatter mode of this microscope, um, collects electrons that are backscattered, especially from metal center compounds. But you can clearly see the uh, lighter and darker uh, contrasted areas there, suggesting that it's an aggregate. Mm -hmm. Some of the smaller particles in here we're looking at on the inner, uh, order of about 450 nanometers long. But there's also smaller particles in yeah. there too. So backscattered electrons, typically the higher the atomic number, the brighter the signal. That being said, what we will do is look for the bright spots and then analyze those. The glass itself does seem to have sodium in it. Um, looks like aluminum, sodium, silicon, um, calcium, potassium. Mm -hmm. So the reason that caught my eye is because it's darker than everything else. And it's got lots of small particles in it. Yep. And this gives us a lot of information. Again, it um, identifies which uh, filters have qualitatively more materials, just, you know, mm -hmm. basically we see more material on it. Um, it also gives us information about size of particles and potential for aggregates that we might be uh, dealing yeah. with in the samples. Barium sulfide again. So barium sulfide is interesting. What he's doing now is uh, just getting a high resolution image of it to see if this is indeed a single particle or if there's any evidence that there's an aggregate of uh, smaller particles. So really the big standout in this one seems to be iron. In this field, we have one, one there, mm -hmm. two, three, four, yeah. And I did, an, an, I did analysis on all of them. Mm -hmm. um, they all seem to be pretty similar in composition. Yeah. Well, this is definitely made up of much smaller particles. Yeah. So this may be a clump of what you're looking yeah. for. We just analyzed three different areas. Um, this particle seems to be high in aluminum. It's a large flake, though. And this has some silver, too. Yeah, in terms of now the alumina, like aluminum signatures that we're getting from the glass fibers themselves, this, this is much bigger. Much, much bigger. So, so look at that. Yeah, that's so aluminum. It's easily 3x the silicon. Yeah. And I think the silicon and aluminum are pretty similar in the glass. So, so here, if you look at dull. just the glass fiber, silicon is significantly taller than aluminum. So that particle there is mostly aluminum. Yeah. So yeah. measuring this one right here, this is below 70 nanometers. Right. Good. In okay. the precipitation samples that we've seen in the past, uh, the aluminum oxide particles that we've been seeing are in the order of 40 to 60 nanometers. So that's consistent with the size that we've seen from precipitation events. Again, these samples were collected directly from the air.
there's not a lot of approaches or instrumentation that you can use to observe these nanomaterials. I mean, again, these are the sizes of viruses. And so really the only equipment or instrumentation that is appropriate for identifying these materials is a high resolution transmission electron microscopy. This allows us not only to determine the size of the particles, we can also determine the composition using a technique called elemental dispersive spectroscopy. It's uh, done within this large microscope. It's, so it will give us information about the morphology of the particles, the composition of the particles, and we can actually see the crystalline spacing. So the spaces of the crystals themselves. So we are talking high resolution microscopic techniques that are really the only way to be able to observe these directly. Morphology is important because the productions of these materials are really of a constrained size range, and we've seen this already in samples that we've analyzed from other sources. American Element produces lots of these nanomaterials, and you can actually purchase them online. The size distribution of these engineered particles are quite homogeneous. Yeah. Now, what I've done is tell it to calibrate to the aluminum peak. So now what it's doing is going through each of its process times and each of its gain values and calibrate. Oh, man, I can tell you this much. What I'm seeing right now is far superior to the last time I ran that operation. So you see you got two calciums, right? Yeah. All right. K-alpha, K-beta. Right? This variant peak is probably an L or an M. Here's your major variant. Yeah, and then you have the other incorrect variant. Correct. Variant is a triple population. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The significance of the results is that, to my knowledge, this is the first evidence of nanomaterials collected directly from the emissions of aircrafts. This is the first time that this has been reported or acknowledged. There is aluminum and there is aluminum. You know, so the way the people are involved in the destruction of our beautiful planet, the get away with it is because the crust of the earth consists of aluminum silicate. Although traces of aluminum may be found in almost any soil, only those clays containing 50 or 60% aluminum ore and known as bauxite are mined for commercial production. And so their argument is always, well, we always had aluminum in the system and our body knows how to deal with it. Well, there's a difference between creating nanonized nanoparticles of aluminum which do not exist in nature, uh, which is a highly aggressive material that is seeking to chemically react with other things. The chemical process reaches its climax in these huge tanks, where alumina is precipitated out of the ore in caustic solution. Later, the water content is driven off by baking in giant rotary kilns, resulting in this pure snow-white powder known as alumina. An ever-increasing amount of this alumina is being used in chemical processing, in soil conditioners, in abrasives, and many other applications. Aluminum particles are highly reflective and thus serve the stated agendas of the climate engineers. 
reducing direct sunlight. The nanoparticles of aluminum are also powerful desiccants, absorbing atmospheric moisture, reducing atmospheric relative humidity, derailing and disrupting the entire global hydrological cycle. Nanoparticulates of different materials are produced for lots of different reasons. In fact, they're in cosmetics, uh, titanium oxide nanoparticles used for um, sunscreen, zinc oxide. So they're not a new invention. What has happened recently, and again, my knowledge is primarily the, the medical and, and health effects studies, uh, is that we've learned to manipulate and create nanoparticles for specific design purposes. We have exploding amount of national laboratory facilities which are researching just the nanomaterials. And it's scary because every single one of them, first of all, is toxic to human body. And second, it absorbs the gigahertz range radiation. Every single nanoparticle absorbs gigahertz radiation. Nanoparticle has nothing to do with the original material where it stems from. So aluminum in nanoform, you can literally explode it. It can be ignited at much, much lower temperature. In this form, another unusual property of aluminum appears. Suspended in a paint vehicle, the powdered particles float to the surface and form a continuous layer of aluminum over the area being covered. This aluminum shield provides protection from weather and reflects light and heat almost as effectively as a solid sheet of aluminum. Aluminum is one of the two metals, iron and aluminum, that exist in a three-plus state. The each plus means lacking an electron. And so aluminum salts are the most electron-deficient metal and with that highly, highly reactive to the proteins inside our cells, which are loaded with electrons. And so aluminum makes very, very strong bonds with the proteins in our cell, which means a protein that has incorporated aluminum becomes a dysfunctional protein that no longer works. We have about 200,000 working proteins in the body. That's what creates your testosterone. That's what creates your, your insulin. You know, this is all made by intracellular proteins. And those get contaminated with the aluminum and become highly dysfunctional. No creature has ever been found to utilize aluminum. There is no creature, no virus, no bacteria, no fungus, nothing that thrives on aluminum. It's deadly to all life on Earth. In national defense, as in many other fields, aluminum is everywhere. In the air, on the ground, and on the sea, versatile aluminum serves our fighting men. And this is the thing about the constituents used in geoengineering, is they are similar to items that are going in ground operations. So whether you're sanding aircraft parts that can stain strontium chromate, changing brake pads, working around barium, um, bending aluminum metals for different aircraft parts. This could all be explained as to their exposures. But the question is, those that don't work in those areas that are showing these symptoms, where's it coming from? 
think in the next couple of hours we'll see that actually open up a bit before the clouds start to return a bit. That's the high cloudiness we're being sprayed uh, up from the north. Uh, there's uh, more upstream, though, for us later on this afternoon into this evening. But, uh, we've been dealing a lot with some military activity in terms of mm -hmm. chaff anyway, and that's something that I experienced for the first time yesterday. That was a whole lot of fun. And that's where the military just basically dumps uh, some of the, the, the tiny particles of plastic or um, metal mylar into the atmosphere. And when you see this kind of a pattern like this, you can rest assured there's something going on. They're actually little bitty magnetic and little bitty strips of then you see these bands of very distinct cloud cover moving into the region. That is not rain, that is not snow, believe it or not. Military aircraft flying through the region is dropping chaff. Small bits of aluminum, sometimes it's made of plastic or uh, even uh, metallicized, uh, metallicized paper products. But it's used as an anti-radar issue and obviously they're up there practicing. Now they won't confirm that, but I was in the Marine Corps for many years and I'll tell you right now, that's what it is. So we conducted the analyses of these nanomaterials and conclusively confirmed that there were aluminum oxide, barium sulfate nanoparticles in the samples that we took on the East Coast on that second flight. For my mind, that would be sufficient, but I'm also was quite interested in, well, what's going on the West Coast? Are these similar types of results can be collected in various regions? I was really thankful to be part of a third sampling mission. We flew from near San Diego, up to the Bay Area and back on one of these days where, again, there was clear evidence of patterned skies being induced by the emissions of aircrafts. In this uh, sampling mission, there was a couple of different things. One is that we used a Learjet, what's a pressurized cabin for one thing. We can get to higher altitudes, it's much quicker. And we used instrumentation that was appropriate for smaller particulates. We had instruments to monitor the air quality in real time. We had two particle meters on board, one that measured PM 2.5, so that would be relatively large particles that we're normally concerned about, these respirable particles that get into our lungs. But we also had on board a particle meter that went down to 20 nanometers. So that meter combined with the larger particle meter gave us a full assessment of materials ranging from 20 nanometers up to 2.5 microns. Our filters that we use were 0.1 microns, so that's 100 nanometer pore size. That would capture many more of the nanomaterials that were being released. What we're breathing in pressurized cabins is actually air from the outside. It's being taken in in front of the engines. Some of the airstream goes into the engine to feed the combustion process, and then bleed air then off of that is taken directly from the outside, pressurized, and then is used to pressurize the cabin. And we could sample it right from the vents. So we had a sampling wand that we could hold up to the vent, and uh, the sampling wand was sampling for the ultrafine particles. We sampled through one of these confluent layers and as we passed through that layer, the larger particle meter basically read just ambient air within the cabin. With regard to the nanoparticle meter, there was clear evidence that there were smaller particles at significant numbers present within that layer. And that is significant. I mean, this is not only just the number of particles that we observed, but also that they were confined to that smaller size range. Above the layer, again, the air quality was quite good. Below the layer, air quality was quite good in 
with regard to the smaller nanoparticle meters. But within that layer, there was clear evidence that there were smaller particles at significant numbers present within that layer. It has significance because this emerging condition known as aerotoxic syndrome, where airline attendants, pilots, people are becoming allergic to their own aircrafts. There really hasn't been identified any known cause of this phenomenon, but nanoparticles of that type can cause things like allergic reactions. These same symptoms that are being experienced by all of these people in the airline industry. Okay. Are y'all still awake? I know Mick's not. I fucking, if y'all are thinking about going to get a handgun to suck start it or to practice suck starting it, I'm with you. There's a lot this of This guy is in about there. F- as fucking exciting as watching linoleum curl. There's a lot of science in there, but there's a lot of evidence too that you wouldn't necessarily hear. We all talk I actually about, want him to talk about the flat earth, but he won't talk we about all talk that. We chemtrails hey. and things you like get that. High? But you want to know what's actually in them and what they're causing, then here you go. You want to get high? Yes, yes, yes. Jeez. Here. I don't know. I'm just fucking bored out of my mind. I'm like, yeah, there's particulate this, particulate that. Do you ever get sick on an airplane? No. Although I did jump out of an airplane pretty high up and I remember looking up before we jumped and there was chemtrails, chemtrails but when I got up there and we were step- standing on the ramp to jump out mm-hmm. there were no chemtrails below us yeah see I didn't say it Mink did because everybody else I fucking know. agrees with me I know Science is boring. That's why they're John, able I, to trick John, you with it all the time. John, how you doing out there in Oklahoma, man? No, you guys had a good uh, shake in the air the other night. Yep. All right. Well, listen, y'all. There's 35 minutes left of this documentary. We can finish it, or we can move right on to Biodome. Let us know in the chats if you want to finish it, or you want to move on to Folly Shore. Up to y'all. See him move on. I know. I know it's making you chap in your butt. It's all good. Finish it. It's nothing we don't already know. The, the earthquake did not impress John. Finish it. I'm reloaded. Finish. I'm reloaded? <laughs> Wait a minute. Would you already shoot? Then you're not doing it right. <laughs> Move on.
What about all the farmer protests happening now, turning over Europe and the climate Davos hoaxers? Yep. Yeah, but that's more about, isn't that more WEF based than climate based? Well, they're just trying to shut down the farms. I mean, yeah, they're just, they're blaming it on the eco crap, but mm-hmm. that's more WEF based. <laughs> Pork Mendoza said, I got y'all on yard speakers, and the guy walking the dog saluted me when Mick said, Y'all want to get high? <laughs> that's fabulous. Oh. Thank you, neighbor guy walking by. We got high for you, bro. Got it. <sighs> so which is it? Are we moving on? Are we sticking around? I think we're uh, we're five to four. Finish it. So. So finish it one. Apparently. No way. <laughs> Somebody else come in and fucking tie this bitch up. Oh. So I can be the fucking end all be all of it. Put this bitch to bed. Damn it. Damn it. We got to finish it. Fuck. All right. It's only like 30 more minutes. I know, but it's like the same dude. It's oh, Jesus. This is like listening to the teacher from fucking Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Bueller. He was more entertaining. He was. All right. The data that we collected using the particle meter is already convincing in terms of there are nanoparticles that are present within that induced layer. What is needed now is a larger contribution from a broader community of scientists, health workers. However, that takes time. And in my opinion, we don't have that kind of time. These materials will reside in our children for their entire life, however long or short that might be. So we don't really have time to say, oh, more research is needed, although it is needed, but not at the same time as we continue to disperse these materials and affect our human population. In the East and in the West, large forest land areas have been sprayed to kill destructive insects. This work by airplanes is significant. It has an indirect effect on all Americans. Here's one to keep track of over here. Notice it didn't have yeah. anything coming out of it. Yeah, he just turned on. Just turned on his spray. The commercial airlines, you're not going to get this kind of converging intersection, even though they're at different altitudes. But the important thing to consider, there's not a natural cloud in the sky. Everything in the sky is an aerosol out of the back of an aircraft. Anybody who says that can't affect the weather is, is simply ignoring logic and reality. My rock climber's mentality says you have to face reality. You just have to face reality, or if you don't, you could end up at the bottom of a cliff because the gravity will take you there. When I see El Capitan over there looming in the distance, and I think about the times, I feel what this place has given me is so much as a human being to experience life. You can't not care. You have to care about it. You can't not care. You can't not care. That is, that is not human. That's a human who's been conditioned to no longer be a human being. With all the spray that's been up, put up in our atmosphere, it, it apparently has come down and it's affecting the environment. You see all the trees that are dead and in the process of dying right now, flashing out. And you can see the, the really brown ones that have just flashed out with the needle still on them. And it's progressing throughout the whole hillside. Even on the top slope, if you, if you look to the back slope up there, 
I mean, they're flashing out everywhere. That's right. You don't have any kind of uniform green. You have just various colors of dead and dying. That's all you have. What a thought that we're standing here at this point in history dealing with this madness. Maybe two years from now, we won't even be able to stand here. It's been proven this is happening throughout this country and around the world. This is supposed to be Yosemite, a national treasure, world heritage site. You want to take a picture? What are you going to see? Climate engineering operations are saturating our atmosphere with light scattering particles that alters the light spectrum that reaches the surface of the planet. This in turn affects photosynthesis. The sunlight that is going through this layer piggybacks the frequency of those toxins when you're exposed to the sun, when there is that gray halo between you and the sun, the sunlight burns and feels very, very unpleasant. And you end up feeling miserable at the end of the day. Whereas when the sun goes through a clear blue sky, you may get a sunburn if you stay there too long, but it's a pleasant warmth that you're getting. We've been told that the ozone layer is recovering, but that's a blatant lie. That's a cover-up. We're being bombarded with very dangerous levels of UV radiation, not just UVA and UVB, but UVC, the last spectrum of UV radiation before X-ray. So if we have 10.5 milliwatts per centimeter squared and we subtract the UVA, which I believe was 4.3 milliwatts per centimeter squared, we end up with about 60% of the total incoming UV is UVB. And that's simply off the charts. It is well known and understood in the science community that climate engineering operations would damage the ozone layer. Because the science community is betraying the human race and the entire web of life, they are not admitting that these operations have long since been deployed and are destroying the ozone layer. And when people feel how intense the sun feels in their skin, it is not their imagination. Extreme UV radiation is killing plankton. Plankton populations globally are plummeting. At this point in time, plankton is the single largest oxygen producer on the planet. No plankton, no people. Climate engineering from every conceivable direction is pounding the nails into our collective coffins. In order to try to understand what was going on with the bombardment of nanoparticles, I decided to test lichens. Now, environmentally, lichens only get their nutrients and energy from the air and from rain. I tested and found that the most common uh, element uh, found was aluminum. There are a number of things that happen with aluminum saturation. Rather than acidic, it creates a, a basic formula in the soil which favors some plants and destroys others. In root systems, it can have a significant impact on their absorption and nutrient uptake. The pH of the rain is 10 times more alkaline than it used to be. The pH of the soil is 10 times more alkaline than it used to be. For acid soils, they've gone neutral. It hasn't gone much past neutral, but it's still 10 times more alkaline than it should be. The soil has been the most destructed entity on the planet. We know that the soil contains tens of thousands of different species of microbes bacteria, fungi, helminth, viruses that are absolutely essential for the soil to produce food that actually nurtures us. A lot of work has been done on tobacco and wheat and rye grasses. 
that germination of seeds in the presence of nanomaterials of aluminum oxide, for instance, significantly stunts root growth and leads to a plant that has been compromised. Most of the oxygen that's being produced by our planet is produced by things like trees and algae and cyanobacteria. All of these life forms are negatively impacted by exposure to nanoparticles of aluminum oxide and other nanomaterials. You see smaller plants in front with the very discolored leaves. That's fungal infection. As the bioavailable metals are killing soil microbes, changing soil pHs, changing forest soil compositions, it has a horrific domino effect. Whole specimens, mature specimens of manzanita flash out stone dead black from fungal infection. In the geoengineering mix, you know, these are nanoplastic particles that spiked with aluminum, with titanium, with strontium. Basically, the oceans are covered with a sheet of plastic. The oceans can no longer evaporate the water that the atmosphere needs to keep the earth blue and green like it used to be. The algae in the ocean depend on a lot of sunlight in order to produce oxygen. And they can't do their job anymore because they're not getting the light they need. In the last two or three years, ever increasing articles about nanoplastics appearing in chicken, in fruit, in vegetables, and also in our human body. Every animal that we eat now is full of these nanoplastic particles. And these are certainly not animals that have swum in the ocean. <laughs> these are land-based animals. They never eat in a plastic bag, and yet they're accumulating these nanoparticles. And the only possible source of that is the air that they breathe. At this late hour on our planet, when we most need alternative forms of energy, climate engineering is dramatically diminishing all three primary forms of alternative energy. Climate engineering is disrupting the hydrological cycle i.e. the rain cycle, causing protracted droughts all over the world, which is dramatically reducing hydropower production. Climate engineering, by its very description, solar radiation management to block the sun, greatly diminishes solar power output all over the world. Climate engineering also reduces wind power because it reduces convection. Atmospheric layers of reflective particles reduce convection, which in turn reduces wind, which reduces evaporation, again, decreasing potential power output for all other forms of energy. Many are absolutely overwhelmed when they are introduced to the climate engineering issue. They try to convince themselves that our government would never do this to us. But such a conclusion doesn't hold up to available data. All official air testing agencies generally test for 10 microns, 2.5 microns at best. Atmospheric testing has proven that climate engineering aerosols are unimaginably smaller in the 20 to 100 nanometer range. The smaller the particle, the more deadly it is to inhale. Available science studies prove that human hearts and human brains now have not just millions, but billions of nanoparticles lodged in them. Most know that bee colonies are collapsing. What most don't know is that insect populations in general are also collapsing all over the world. Bees are dying of symptoms resembling Alzheimer's and dementia in human beings because they're packed full of aluminum. 
Why aren't the beekeepers acknowledging this? Why isn't this fact a headline all over the globe? To suit our convenience, we clear other large areas of natural life in order to build towns and cities. Our homes, stores, and factories clustered closely together are easy marks continually tempting invasion by the insect enemies. Our only answer is to wage constant battle with the bugs. This must be intelligent, organized, well-planned warfare. We must fight our insect enemies with every weapon our imagination and science can devise. Chemical warfare is quick death to our enemies. Whether used on a small scale or on a large scale, vast areas can be treated in a short time. An outstanding advantage in our warfare against the insects. What's it like for an insect to be poisoned by a crop-dusting aircraft? Don't we all know? Is there any difference whatsoever between crop-dusting insects and the global climate engineering spray operations that have long since contaminated our entire planet and every breath we take? How can we avoid this? Answer, we can't. You can make very high quality and do this in just a jet in a very simple way, make high quality alumina particles just by spraying alumina vapor out, which oxidizes. The implementation decisions will be risk to risk decisions. The risk of doing it against the risk of not doing it. It's very good to have research on new applications of technology that are beneficial, but it should be balanced at the same time it's developed with the study of the adverse effects, if there are any. Now, as it happens, the Air Force conducted a study starting in 1993. It was called In Vitro Toxicity of Aluminum Nanoparticles in Rat Alveolar Macrophages. That's a real fancy way of saying, testing the effect of aluminum nanoparticles on the white blood cells in the little air sacs in your lung, the alveoli. And what they found in this eight-year study was that these particles, when you're exposed to long enough, it suppresses the ability of your white blood cells to defend you from airborne infections coming into your lungs. And so essentially by breathing this material in, your immune system is dramatically suppressed. If we can't breathe, if we can't inhale without sucking up highly toxic, bioavailable, bioaccumulative particulates that lodge in our systems like a plaque, Elements like aluminum, barium, strontium, elements that are highly toxic in and of themselves, but when combined, become exponentially more toxic. 70% of uh, nanoparticles that are already within us are introduced to our systems through just respiration. So we breathe them into our nose, the ethmoidal sinuses then collect them. They can migrate to our frontal lobe through the olfactory nerve and there they can generate reactive oxygen species and cause brain damages of different type. Everything we know at present suggests that generation of reactive oxygen species is the cause of aging, cause of almost every disease that we know. Certainly dementia, but, but other diseases as well. A lot of the nanoparticles, not all of them, but a lot of them have metal ions. Metal ions are potent generators of reactive oxygen species. When you have nanoparticles in the body, they are small enough so they go everywhere. There is no barrier to them in any part of the body. They cross the blood-brain barrier, they cross cell membranes. They're even more reactive or can be more damaging than virus particles. We have natural defenses against 
viruses. We have no natural defenses against nanomaterials. And again, they never leave our system. They don't die. They're not cleared. We don't produce antibodies against them. So we are exposing humanity to a class of materials that will continue to damage biological tissue for the lifetime of that organism. The Japanese developed a blood washing method called apheresis that was used for reducing cholesterol and fats from the blood. And then a brilliant German toxicologist came along and modified this procedure where he could not only wash out the blood, but also the plasma from the connective tissue, which is a much deeper look into the system. The entire blood volume and plasma volume is put through a filter system several times and filters out anything that's toxic. And with this method, it's the first time you can actually measure body burden, or how much is in the entire body. And as it turns out, nanonized aluminum is by a factor of roughly 100 times, 94 to 120 times more prevalent than any other toxin, nanonized aluminum. And we know that we absorb aluminum very poorly by eating it. That cannot be the possible route how we get toxic. The only way that we can get these high levels of aluminum is through inhalation or through injection. This was uh, a big wake-up call. To let the evolvement of a program impact my grandchildren, my even my children, not necessarily the immediate years for myself, is a very personal concern to know how it will flow down through the elements of the family. I often find that those who question actions of the government often don't want to get involved until it directly affects them. If you look up into the sky, this is directly affecting you. If you have a family, your children, your wife, your husband, your extended family members, your animals, this is directly affecting all of us. How can so many claim that governments and militaries around the world would not spray chemical and biological agents on populations when there are, are literally hundreds of historically documented cases of such operations occurring in recent decades? Many biological warfare experiments were officially used to test the range and dispersal patterns of aerosol, particulates, and biological agents. In the United States alone, by 1977, 239 open-air biological tests had been conducted over unknowing U.S. populations. Tests were conducted throughout the 20th century, many of which took place concurrently with the covert ramp-up of climate engineering operations. We are expected to believe that this experimentation was benign and not connected to the climate engineering operations, just as is the case with the ever-increasing exposure to microwave transmissions all over the world. Many of what we are told are only cellular communication towers have power supply inputs that are 10 times larger than what is needed for communications purposes. The compounding synergistic toxicity of these operations is accumulating inside all of us. What makes us sensitive to Wi-Fi and to the electromagnetic radiation in general is the metals in our body. And we never used to have aluminum in our mitochondria. The aluminum in our mitochondria makes the inside of the mitochondria resonant with Wi-Fi, and they start heating up. 
and it starts destroying the mitochondrial DNA at a very, very rapid rate. And so it's really the synergy of the metals dispersed in our body and the Wi-Fi making our body a resonant antenna with the Wi-Fi environment. And of course, you, you know, we're going now from 3 or 4G to 5G with the ever-increasing amplitude of energy that's delivered into our systems. This is one of those life or death choices. But we're not just talking about my life or your life. We're talking about something that is killing the fundamental living system on the planet. We are bathed now in a soup that is comprised of nanolized aluminum. Glyphosate forms six different salts with aluminum and works as a carrier to carry the aluminum deep into our brains. And uh, the only other missing thing there was to open the cell walls, open the blood-brain barrier, is the ever-increasing exposure to radio waves. Half of the people listening to this talk will die with or of dementia. And the main cause of dementia is the nanonized aluminum particles. There's somebody behind the scene orchestrating that with the perfect understanding of the human condition and of toxicology and brought the three things together that will, in a very, very rapid period of time, we're talking six, seven years from here on, cause major destruction of the human nervous system that could be stopped at a switch. We could have a clean world tomorrow. We need to come together for all of humanity to address this issue. And I think that the only way to do that at this point is a legal approach and to present all evidence on both sides, the evidence that we are collecting as independent scientists and the evidence that already exists in those laboratories where these materials are produced and deployed. Colleagues of mine, they don't really accept this yet. They're starting to because I've shared some of the data that we've collected, but most of them will ignore it and, and do call it beat up conspiracy theories. Well, those learned people are ignorant of the facts. And so my call to action is don't ignore things anymore. You know, we have to address this issue. It's, it's in, on our doorstep. It's in our skies. It's in our children. We have to do something. If the ongoing global climate engineering, weather warfare operations are not brought to light and to a halt, allowing the planet to respond to the damage done. It will never be able to find a new equilibrium, an equilibrium that may yet allow it to sustain life into the future. Exposing and halting climate engineering operations is the great imperative. They are disrupting virtually the entire web of life. I think we need to enlist the uh, support of uh, commercial airline pilots, as well as calling back and bringing these subject up with our House and Senate members in the U.S. Congress. I think it's going to take that kind of action to uh, get this geoengineering exposed, find out what's behind it and why they are doing this. In my life, 
I have friends, family, wonderful people who are trying to stay within the official reality on the theory that they'll be safer. And the reality is, if you look at where this thing is going, you know, better we deal with it now, it's like cancer, it's only gonna get worse. The data is what's gonna change people's mind. So you need to be able to draw it out, get the reports available, and get publicity on what the conclusions are so that people believe it. It's not just someone raising a subject that has no validity. It's based on scientific data that demands changes. We've gotten to the point where the mystery is so expensive, spiritually, psychologically, financially, legally, you know, that the time has come to say is, you know, who's really doing this and why are they behaving this way? And I often wonder, do any of those people, you know, behind the scenes fearing reprisal, are they looking into this? There is data out there. Who's gonna bring it forward? We are rapidly running out of time to take care of this problem. That's what makes it so critical. Yeah, and I can only hope that in my lifetime, we'll have a resolution of this and we can fix it. I'd really like to see the planet stay, the life on the planet stay anyway. How do we stop climate issues? I ask this question so often. The only way forward in this fight, the only way we can expose and halt climate engineering is from the inside out. With a critical mass of awareness, a level of awareness so vast that it causes a shockwave around the world so that populations all over the world know what their governments have done to them without their knowledge or consent. A level of awareness so vast that our military brothers and sisters and their families understand what they are really a part of, literally self-extermination. We must reach a critical mass of awareness. It is the only way we can expose and halt climate engineering processes, and this effort will take all of us. You cannot change anything when you are dead. When you are dead, it's always gone. So as long as you are alive, do something, I would say. I do trust human ingenuity and human intelligence. And I think we still have a chance, but things are far more serious than the general public is aware of. The song is going to be over very soon if you don't turn things around. We have a system full of great pain and great suffering and great poverty. And, you know, people sort of walking around in the dark playing bumper cars. It doesn't have to be. And so part of what has me so optimistic is I know what's possible. I know that what we have now is, is tiny compared to what's possible. So now's the time to figure out what's going on and why. Now, our only chance is to stop interfering with Earth's life support systems, to expose and halt climate engineering once and for all, allow the planet to respond to the damage done to it on its own. Climate engineering is not a cure. Climate engineering is a curse even worse than the disease it claims to treat. Time is not on our side. The sand in the hourglass is running out at blinding speed. Please, make your voice heard. Make every day count. Please forgive me if I ran for a moment on the memories from my former life, my life before the last 20 years of my desperate attempt. Okay, I'm done. You're done. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> Thank the 
fucking long. I had an idea, though. You had an idea. I did. She had an idea, folks. Mm-hmm. This idea hurts, or mm-hmm. is it healthy? Enough? Is it a healthy idea? It's Moda. Um, <sighs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so obviously, based on what we just saw and some of what they said, who's planning this? Like, there's one overarching force, something that knows exactly what's going on, and it's happening around the world, across the world. Yeah, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Okay. So they have been spraying us with aluminum primarily aluminum for years and other heavy metals yeah since the end of world war ii somewhere around there since yeah. operation paperclip essentially right yeah, somewhere in there yeah. okay and just as this came out mm-hmm. in 2021 what happened they rolled out the jab mm-hmm. okay what have we learned in the conspiracy world about the jab that there are self-replicating nanobots nanobots in there forming some kind of antenna-like structure. Yes. Structure. Okay. Isn't that what they said? That the aluminum is... So the aluminum particulates go into your brain, right? But they were missing a piece. They were missing a way to bring it all together. In your body. Why would they be spraying us with aluminum and filling your body with metals for years? Unless at the end of their nasty evil plan, they plan to inject you with something that could potentially collect all of that aluminum and all of those other heavy metals. Wouldn't you somehow become a robot? And turn you into some kind of a transmitter or a receptor, essentially transhuman, a robot, zombie. Connect the two. Geoengineering, being sprayed with heavy metals, and then being injected with something that collects those heavy metals and turns it into a physical structure inside you. One more time. Is it possible for lightning to come down right now and strike me directly in my asshole? Absolutely. Yep. Anything's possible. Yep. Exactly. So what's your point? I just had a thought. (laughs) Not a point, just a thought. If there is one evil overarching force, person, thing, entity that is designing all of this, since the late 40s all different heads of the hydra they're connected somewhere who's the uh 
fuck i'm trying to remember the guy the last guy he's like one of the last of the big the big pilots back in the 50s that broke the sound barrier you know doing all that shit i forgot his name uh it wasn't jim lovell i'm trying to think the fucking dude's name but he's part of that group though um anyway who's asked like a he had this guy a flat earther dude he was really keen on planes knew a lot of shit and uh so he's talking to uh this guy and i can't fucking remember his name and Jeff, I think you're thinking of more Gellens. I can't remember this guy's name. I wish I could because the interview is absolutely fucking hysterical. He's peppering him with all these different trim questions about a plane and aerodynamic questions about a plane. And in the middle of it, very simple questions that he would give a sometimes give a longer answer. No, it wasn't Jaeger. I would have remembered Jaeger. But he would give him sometimes give a little bit longer worded answer than the guy wanted but he was basically following the peppering sequence of events and he asked him he said you know well due to the trim, trim characteristics characteristics on most average modern planes i he's like he's like so is the earth flat and this guy without a stutter step said yes and then he went right on to the next question and before he could finish the next question he was just like wait a minute what did you say and he goes no, 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 you've already answered it. And he went to go on, and the guy wouldn't let him go on. He's just like, no, I well, I didn't say that. He goes, no, you clearly did. I asked you if the earth was flat, and you said yes. And I was like, holy shit, that's it. I just wanted to see one. Of, they have all these old pilots up there. Somebody ask him, be like, hey, is the earth flat? Just want to know. It's funny. The new pilots know the conspiracy. The old pilots are the ones that are going to tell you, fuck yeah, the earth is flat. There's no way this bitch is round. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that make me laugh. The old World War II pilots are the fucking hysterical ones. Well, there's not a lot of them around left, but. Eco to to Dave says, as I remember, it all started to change in the 60s. How how long do you think it takes to start changing a culture? You think you just wake up one day and... No, 30 years. And when do you start to see those minute changes? About 15 years in? Yeah, uh, sometimes. Yeah. Depending on what you're changing. So if they started in the late 40s, you'd see it in the early 60s. You would start to see the changes. To physically see the world changing around you about 15 years after they put their plans into effect. They... It takes 30 years because 30 years is the general gestation time of really anything. I mean, if you think about it as a child to 30, that's your first time and first actual time that you'll ever see anybody in government. So when you look at it, 15 to 30, that's your your two to 30. That's that's the time frame. That's why it's 30 years. So you start encoding when they're young. Mm hmm. And then as they get older, they start to decode the encode, so to speak. And then when they hit 30, boom, reptiles in charge. Mm -hmm. The other thought that I had is what if they are reptiles and they are literally terraforming with all this aluminum and dimming the sun and reducing the oxygen content and making the environment more suitable to whatever their natural state is. So I little by little possibilities there however my first actual fucking argument to all of this is this first of all with the dimming bullshit all right it feels like we're being gaslit yet again 
I'm just saying. It just feels like we're being gaslit again. Oh, it's horrible. The the plane is to me. Really? Have you ever looked? Uh, have you ever gone to the, like, the the hardware store and picked up those little cheap lights that have the solar panel on the top that says it's supposed to stay lit for 24 hours and for like the first week it works for the 24 hours and then after that it goes to shit, right? Mm-hmm. Because what happens to that little solar panel? It burns depending on where you're at in the sun, depending on where you live, uh, because they're black. They do have a color. There's a color to them. They have to suck in light. They have to absorb light, right? So they have to be absent of color. So they're black. And uh, what does black do in direct sunlight? It will fade. It will turn white. What happens when a solar panel turns white? It stops collecting electricity well you you know the gay ass solar panels that they stick on your roof yeah unless they maintain them like i mean specifically in a daily sort of way because like of those big solar farms those panels are maintained daily people go out there every day they wipe them down they wash them down they're maintained they're kept clean nothing you know if there are major scratches dings dents bangs burst they get pulled and replaced there's always maintenance going on there if you're not constantly doing maintenance to your solar panels you're going to be fucked think about your headlights after you know your first when you get headlights those new headlights when they become foggy and hazy and shit that's like when you haven't taken care of it's the same type thing but he explained that in the movie that you weren't really watching um where essentially they have used geoengineering to reduce, hold on, to reduce the ozone layer, which protects us from the harmful UV rays of the sun. So the sun feels stronger because we're getting more UV because they've used this geoengineering to reduce the ozone. But at the same time, now they're trying to dim the sun because the UV is stronger because they fucked the ozone layer. Well, Yes, that's true. And but the other guy who said that he went up to his house and he said, "Well, I noticed a substantial sixty percent." Sixty. But how long was he living? How long? Like, I would love to ask him how long were the how old are the solar panels he's got? You know, what regular maintenance does he do? I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you're not doing regular maintenance, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm telling you right now, if you do regular maintenance and you're constantly taking care of your solar panels, they'll last forever. But my point is, is when you're not doing regular maintenance, when you're not taking care of them, they don't last very long. Okay. And that is that is a serious issue with solar panels that nobody's fixed because they really don't last very long. Once they get a haze on them, you're fucked. You will never get a full charge out of them. Yep. I'm just saying that's just what they are. They're pieces of shit in all, all actuality. Well, before we move on to mixed choice for the show. You want to get high? Yeah, I guess so. Why not? Why not? So as long as you can do it. It's a Sunday, so we'll do a threefer because fuck it. Why not? I will say, however, that when the day comes, when the time comes, The land will lay fallow for seven years. And I always, I wondered why when I first heard that, why seven years, but now I understand better that that's how long it's going to take the earth to heal from all this bullshit.
However, I did see a video today earlier, but it was on Instagram, so I didn't pull it because you know I hate Instagram videos. Um, where, okay, what is plastic made from? Oil. Exactly. So if you can convert oil to plastic, why can't you convert plastic back to oil? Because uh, when you do convert plastic back to oil, it has a, uh, by, uh, a byproduct which we can't use even in oil and it's hazardous to the earth. So nobody wants to do it. Well, someone, and it would cost so much money, it's ridiculous. Someone figured out how to convert plastic, regular plastic, into diesel. Diesel's uh, one more time. Diesel's not oil. I know, but they figured out how to convert yeah. plastic into that diesel. That should be able to be done. Yep. That's not hard to do. Exactly. It's already been refined. Yeah. He said you could take all the plastic out of the oceans and power the power the earth with diesel for thirty years. Yeah, but the problem is it costs too much. Mm. Well, this guy did it in his freaking hometown for next to nothing. So good on him. Yeah. They don't want to. They don't want to do it because the plastics in the ocean keeps the algae from producing oxygen. What? That's what he said in the video, right? The plastics in the ocean form a haze over it, prevents the sunlight from getting into the, the plankton and the algae and whatnot that produces most of the oxygen. Okay. Never heard that one before, but okay. He said it while well, you weren't watching. Yeah. Yeah. See. <laughs> <laughs> that had me up to our first break and then i was done i yeah. was like all right <laughs> no this guy used to get too nerdy for Pequest me said i saw that dude was awesome he'll be killed probably yep i, I i'm sure he is i'm sure he's a great guy i no no the guy that converted plastic oh. into diesel oh that guy yeah. yep oh. yep Yes, Instagram is completely Mick's favorite. He is an Instagram slut. And Jeff, I'm sure he appreciates the 20 to 30 clips that you flood him with every day. He's on that shit all the Dude, time. Dude, I didn't have anything else for fucking three years. Fuck you all. It was my only social media for three fucking years. Lindsay, some of them you can save. Some of the Instagram videos you can download. It depends on how they're shared in the first place. Um, like You have to give people the ability to, to download it. You just have to check it. Like, go to share it and see if the download option is available. I realize you all didn't get kicked off of every social media platform you had on one day. I did. Which is crazy that he got kicked off of Facebook, but still was on Instagram. Well, I had Instagram. I was on it originally, and I remembered my password to my original account, which I guess never got converted to a Facebook account. Never was backed by my Facebook account. I was an original user to Instagram. Like I signed up for it one day and I never used it. I never did anything with it. And it just sat there dormant. And then when I got kicked out of everything else, I found that account. It just happened to still be in my accounts. It was the only one I could access. And I was like, holy shit, I guess I still do have a social media presence. Not very big, but a presence. Mm-hmm. It was one of my accounts that just never linked back to my Facebook account because I used a weird ass email address for it. I don't know. Fuck it. Hey, it's all good. My Facebook account came back, but I, I didn't. I had already made a new one for Electro Freedom. And then I realized how much I hate fucking Facebook. I was like, fuck this place. So 
Like I'm trying to sell Legos on Facebook. I'm selling them for $5 a pound. And this guy offered me 15, or he offered me $5 for 10 pounds. And I was like, no, how about $50? And he was like, how about 15? And I was like, how about fuck off? <laughs> no. Anyway. Um, all right. Climate anxiety all the way back in the early 90s. That's when it started. It's Clinton. I'm dead serious. Clinton and Gore. Everybody remembers that shit. Everybody remembers Clinton and Gore doing that shit around the country, especially in like school. Remember that shit big time in school. Oh, the climate, the climate. I remember we had like. Oh, yeah. We had Earth Day and Recycling Day. And yeah. We had all, all this the shit. Yep. And I remember mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we'd like jump for life or whatever the heart rope shit or jump whatever. Jump for heart. They still do that. Whatever that crap is. And then we had that other shit. And I was like, God bless. How much shit are you trying to stuff down our throats about this retarded shit? And then they took away dodgeball. Yeah. So mean. So mean. God, <laughs> best way to pick on the weaker and more exactly the weaker kids oh, you know you know you never wanted to be picked last not for dodgeball yeah all anyway right. okay all right well we gotta get the fuck out of here yes we um, do we have to go feed the troops we do mm -hmm. we'll be back tomorrow 5 45 for the pre-show 6 p.m for the regular show you can check her out tomorrow morning at 08 for the good book and the level of liana starts at 905 tomorrow mm -hmm. on both our channels and her channels yep we will see you back then. Uh, till then, for the Mick. And Lynn. Hope you fuckers have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for hanging with us. Peace.